0: good morning everybody welcome to the matt townsend show i'm your host dr matt townsend your coach your guide on the side welcome to the program another morning we've made it another one we've made it through the night
1: <laughs> there's always that point after the show where I you're survived. just waiting for someone to tell you thanks for coming in we appreciate all your work you know
0: what it's like it's almost like they're not listening
1: I think they're not listening don't say that because then they'll walk in and tell you they're listening actually I know they're listening yeah because
0: Don always says oh well what about that that was good what about the I laughed there that's good so we know they're listening. So I guess it's working. Day number twelve, whatever day we're on. <laughs> day like number twelve of your the morning you You're keeping track? Wow. No, I really am not. Hey, uh it's it's not as early as it used to be. It's I used to be, you know, dead. I but love this time of morning.
1: This is great. Yeah. I'm all I'm energized. I feel but alive. About three o'clock I start hitting the downward slope yeah. of the day and Yeah. I mean I sure my eyes look like
0: Harry Reid's. Have you seen those pictures? What is his deal, that poor guy? He's wearing glasses now in the Capitol. Sunglasses. He looks like John yeah.
1: Belushi. He almost lost his the, eye. I know. In an accident with a exercise band.
0: Yeah, one of those rubber band exercise. Allegedly, things.
1: I've seen some stories that it was an exercise band. Maybe he fell off his his uh, his, his treadmill. No. And other people are like, "Well, it's Vegas. Is he making you know yeah, sketchy deals?" From- and
0: but he. Uh, he looks well he had he broke his he broke bones in his face, he had eye surgery, he got hit with in the eye supposedly with a, a exercise band, and he tipped him over and he
1: fell into a cabinet yeah i don't know I've used exercise bands yeah i don't have necessarily... you ever had
0: one get away from you though
1: I had it i kind of flip
0: yeah i guess I, it I, hit I don't you. think I was actually exercising with it, I think I was just you know moving furniture with it. or but it hit me in the face but he looks,
1: yeah. You, I don't but know. But Also, with the age, it takes longer to he, recover yeah, he, from. Wow, well, like he that. looks
0: battered. Yeah. And it's almost like if you just go, just for fun, go Google, go Google Harry Reid news, and then go look at the news and just watch. Look at every picture in the news for about the past two weeks, because it's just a
1: different. You know phase of abuse well he had a white patch uh-huh. over the eye for a while and it's like you really should have gone the pirate oh, sort of eye had, patch I know. but he didn't he didn't go that I feel, fully. Bad.
0: I feel bad for him and, and then the glasses I think are way cool don't get me wrong but there's just something weird when the Senate minority leader I guess is what he is. Uh, it's got to be the bright lights with the, the he just eyes. Looks, he looks, and he's like, "Oh, you, uh, you uh, making me mad? I'm gonna have to take you out, you guys. What's the deal?" He's like, he's like, <laughs> "Mafioso." He's now,
1: he's now the Vegas mob. That's he's what Vegas you're saying. Mob. Yeah.
0: All right. Anyway, that's what my eyes feel like at seven something in the morning. Except just so you know, on the East Coast, it's nine something.
1: Yeah, it's nine, nine Eastern.
0: It's about ten after now.
1: Yeah.
0: You know what's amazing is right there, right there. We just did four minutes. Solid. I don't know if it was award, solid. Award winning. Eh, is that not too far? that either. No, it wasn't award winning or solid. Okay. But no matter what, it's done. We're not getting those four minutes back. <laughs> <laughs> Neither is anybody else. You're welcome. That's why we're here, folks. The morning show. Uh, what news do you have for us there, Terry
1: South? Obama vetoed the pipeline or he didn't. Yeah. Because it's not it's, fully well, off the table. Well,
0: they're all saying he did. But apparently
1: he didn 't do it the way most of us thought he would have it was it wasn 't the real vote so the story President Obama vetoed a bill that would approve construction of the Keystone XL pipeline on Tuesday, marking only the third time he 's killed a congressional legislation in his term the first time he 's done so since two thousand and ten so he 's only vetoed three bills. This is big news says Obama repeatedly vowed to veto the bill if the newly republican uh, Senate passed it. Majority Leader Mitch McConnell said the Senate will vote on overriding the veto next week. 67 votes are needed, which the Republicans don't have. Ah, Politics. Which is why Obama's really confident in his veto, because he doesn't think they can get the votes to override his veto. I was listening this morning, and (laughs) it sounds like this uh, will all come back up again, because it was more of a procedural-type vote. To try to take away the opportunity for Obama to veto the bill in the future. And then, so that was the bill he got, that Obama got, was it said, this will take away your power to veto. And he said, "Uh, no. So he said, no, I will not,
0: I will veto you and your desire to take
1: away my veto. On the XL pipeline. You so, know, uh,
0: and the funny thing about the XL pipeline is it's just fairly just, it's a symbolic thing, really. Yes, there, Everyone's
1: fighting against it because symbolically... There are already three pipelines coming out of Canada through yeah, the United States. Yeah. So what's another pipeline? Well, this one supposedly will generate 42,000 jobs, which
0: after two years will amount to 35 jobs. Right. But it's symbolic. The environmentalists don't want it to happen because symbolically we're shutting down... You know, a pipeline and the conservatives want it because symbolically we're going to,
1: I guess, be independent. Take control of yeah. our our independent our energy, energy, even though none of that actually stays in the country. So this why we got so. Joe Cannon coming on later, because
0: he's he's going to help us sort through that and some of the politics of all of this.
1: <laughs> OK, good. That's a, that's, I guess, good, bad news. The American sniper trial. We've been following
0: that. I did. That's interesting.
1: Convicted, so the the guy sentenced. That, he uh, killed the man that when the movie was made up or made after um, the American Sniper movie, uh, Chris Kyle and his friend Chad Littlefield were killed in 2013 at a gun range, and the man that did that is going to jail. His last name is uh, Ralph, R O U T H. Really? So he'll be going to jail, but they haven't sentenced him yet. That'll happen down the road. The, Potentially the jury just found life in
0: prison. Yes, because
1: they did not seek the death penalty. They took that off the table.
0: Yeah, he's not well. No. So, interesting. But all of a sudden you have this major blockbuster. Can you imagine having to not only go to trial, but face
1: one of the top movies of the year? I mean, you know. During the trial. During your trial. Right. So American uh, sentiment, you know, the public's opinion was obviously turned against him. Uh, The Department of Justice will not seek charges against George Zimmerman. Really? There was a uh, civil rights violation type yeah. oh, case yeah. going forward. The Department of Justice could not find evidence that Zimmerman violated the rights. Why of, did
0: it take that long? It's the government. But I mean, I know, but look how quickly they they're already talking about the Ferguson case. But I guess that'll probably We're still waiting on that'll that. That'll still be delayed, but yes. look how long Zimmerman took. Yeah. So Ferguson's down the road. See, Zimmerman's me. got his own problems. It doesn't matter if the Justice Department's yeah. after him. He seems to keep creating his own mayhem. He pops
1: up every few months with something that, oh, uh, it's ridiculous. Just, yeah, that's messed up. What else? One more? Yeah. Marshawn Lynch. You hear who that is? Yeah. Running back for the Seattle Seahawks? Yeah. He can't keep
0: his mouth. He can't use his mouth when he needs to. And then he
1: talks too much when he shouldn't. It's kind of how he operates, yeah. yeah. He is uh, trying to get a copyright on the phrase, I'm just here so I won't get fined, because there's t-shirts, <laughs> there's all, he wants a That's formal, wants a formal yeah. trademark, because he's seeing that people have t-shirts, hats, beanies, hooded sweatshirts, and more with that phrase on it, uh-huh. and he wants to own it, because I, he's the one that said it. Yeah, those were his words. I mean, those were
0: actually his only words.
1: Yes, that's all he said over and over In and that over. Press I'm just here so I won't get fined.
0: <laughs> now, by the way, Marshawn Lynch was the guy that could have won the Super Bowl if, if had, they would have given had, him the football.
1: If we had just gone for a running play. Oh, well. And if he would have been stopped on the one yard line, time runs out and they lose the game, anyways. Yeah. But you throw the football, it's incomplete, you get another shot. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, no, see, that's. We won't what, get into that. That's what, see, you're, you're trying, you're <laughs> trying, yeah. You can't
0: replay the Super Bowl. Oh yeah, you can. No, I, I can't. You can set it up on a video game. It well, oh, yeah. count, but um, you know, Marshawn deserves that jersey or that, uh, that, that trademark. trademark because the guy that's that was uh, everyone was like that's just a crazy move to just sit there and say that.
1: Yeah, but it.
0: Felt, and now uh, it's reached the level of t-shirt.
1: He was there for the five minutes he's required, yeah. and he walked away, and no one find him. It's t-shirtable. Yeah.
0: Give the man his trademark. It's a smart idea. Smart guy. Well, uh, good. Good job. See, that's easy news. We want, and, you know, BBC already covered the the whole ISIS thing, by the way. 90 more Christians, up to 150, I think, now yes. have been taken, and I can only imagine what is in store for the world when that all comes down. <sighs> we'll get into all of this fun stuff, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We're going to take a break when we come back. Our insider, our D.C. Washington, D.C. insider, Joe Cannon, is going to be joining us. Got a lot of interesting uh, you know, topics coming up in the world of politics. We're going to pick his brain about some of this, some of the, the media turning on media. It's an interesting little dilemma. And uh, some of the gotcha, Ed, kind of news that's coming out of Washington, D.C. This is the Matt Townsend Show back after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Hey, you know, on the show, we like to give you the latest headlines and maybe take them a little deeper if we can by bringing on other experts. Again, we're we not a news show, but uh, we like to dissect the news and help us understand a little bit more what's going on so that you can at least feel informed and also so that you can see uh, that pretty much everything comes back to the human, right? We're just a bunch of humans trying to make it work on this crazy, you know, ball of mud we call Earth. And in the end, um, a lot of the things we see happening in D.C. or happening even internationally are just a bunch of humans trying to uh, to get stuff done. So we've invited Joe Cannon. He's a great friend of the show um, on. He, he's a regular that comes on. He's our insider. He served in the Reagan administration as an, an assistant administrator of the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency back in the 80s. He also has been an editor of a major uh, newspaper in the Intermountain region called Deseret News, And um, he is currently the president and chief executive officer of Fuel Freedom Foundation, which is a nonpartisan organization dedicated to reducing the cost of driving your existing vehicle by hopefully opening up cheaper fuel choices. So, Joe Cannon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me, Matt. Great to have you. I've been excited to talk to you. There's just so many stories out there. Uh, Yeah, lot's going on. I mean, a lot going on. And so... I just kind of—I'll just shotgun a bunch of them, and and I just want your opinion. And I really want what what I love about you, Joe, is this uh, idea of being a former editor. I mean, you were the editor of a of a major kind of you know intermountain newspaper. It's it's a big deal, and so I want some of your editorial insight as well. Okay. As I'm we fired. get into some of this, okay. First of all, uh, I don't, I'm sure you didn't hear about it, but Rudy Giuliani seriously offended the president. <laughs> What is that yeah, all yeah. about? Rudy Giuliani was the great, you know, he's a fighter. He's he's kind of a, he's a, you know, he's a street wise guy. Why would he go out and start talking about the president's love of country?
2: You know, I don't know the answer to that question. It's, it's baffling. I, I was uh, uh, oddly yesterday, I happened to be in Washington, D.C. today, and, but yesterday I was talking with a, a, a one of his law partners is a friend of mine, and i was we just <laughs> talking about it. and Others talking, but you know, it's—it's it's kind of the—it's not—not so much the buzz right now. I think the buzz is kind of uh, settled down. Yeah. But I—I I guess what I'm thinking is, we there, there's no confusion in anyone's mind that, that Giuliani doesn't really like President Obama,
0: <laughs> right? I mean, and he's in—he well, was—he uh, yeah, he, he, he was with so Walker, right?
2: I, I Well, I, I guess, yeah, he, he made these comments, uh, you know, around uh, uh, Governor Walker. But I guess what it perplexes me is, that, you know, he's been a pretty successful politician. Sure. Art guy. You know, you can disagree with somebody. And, you you know, there are obviously lots of big disagreements. But I'm not sure you need to go to someone's motive. How do you know that? What do you know? How can you know a lot of the things he was saying I mean and even if they're true, just just yeah. lay that aside uh, um, how does that advance the argument okay, okay this policy I don't agree with this policy I do agree with I'll, you could you know you could confine your remarks to what the policy is without try to divine what, kind of what the motivation I yeah. think motivation is never important. But he's going, oh, he's going way to the heart of a person's uh, uh, being, and not not sure that helps the helps the conversation much.
0: Well, and then he came out, remember, and did the op-ed piece, and right, um, in Wall <laughs> in the Wall Street Journal, and and basically he said, my blunt language suggesting the president doesn't love America, notwithstanding, I didn't intend to question the president Obama's motives or the content of his heart. My intended focus really was the effect of his words and his actions have on the morale of the country. Anyway, he, he can't talk his way out of this now, can he?
2: No, 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 no. He He's doubled down. He, he's, uh, I think part of what's happening is he's a pretty stubborn guy. Yeah. He's saying, you know what, I'm just not backing off. But, you know, to say maybe my bluntness undermined my message is one of the great <laughs> understatements of the year. <laughs>
0: That's right. Maybe it did. Yeah. And and I didn't intend to I didn't intend to question his his motives or his heart. I mean, th- this is the problem though. So now it's interesting. So now the it seems like the press kind of in general have glommed onto that. Then there's this weird gotcha type of journalism that goes on where now they go over to Scott Walker, who by the way is is killing it in Ohio, I guess. I mean, it's He's starting. To, Iowa, yeah. I mean, in Iowa. Sorry, it's starting to take that front runner role, uh, at least in Iowa, the more conservative, I guess, area um, in the primaries is, and, and then they try to catch him, right? They, they try to get the gotcha. So, right. I, I, I,
2: yeah, and I would say that's problematic. I mean, if every Republican and every Democrat had to own every stupid thing that every other Republican and every other Democrat said, yeah. this is crazy. I mean, I. I uh, does anyone say to President Obama after one of the famous, many, 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 many famous Biden malapropisms? <laughs> oh, do you do you own that? Do you, do you agree with that? No, I mean it's you know Rudy Giuliani's Rudy Giuliani, and it's, you know, I think I think Walker is actually pretty right when he just said, "Hey, I, you know, that's, that, that, that's not about me. Go go ask Rudy."
0: Yeah, don't 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 get me involved in this. <laughs> is it? Is it, I mean, it seems like a great example of this where it succeeded was, um, well, maybe, I mean, Senator McCain was was somewhere asked if oh, President Obama, when they were running against each other, if he really is is an American. It Was he born in America? I think that was kind of the idea. And he just flat out said, of course he was, and just kind of moved on. And he didn't, I mean, he didn't get into it and he didn't discounted he just said of course he was he's running for president let's move on
2: right yeah and that was my response by the way then
0: yeah do you think this uh as a as a candidate for example scott walker they they're saying that he he keeps trying to dodge everything and and i'm i'm assuming that they're dodging it just so they're not sucked into it how yeah. what is their responsibility to answer any of this
2: yeah. Well, I, I mean, I don't know when you, when you, uh, become the candidate or become a candidate and especially if you have a potential to think successful and, and yeah, this happens pretty much on both sides. Uh, the, you get a lot of scrutiny. So, so a, a lot of the questions are just legitimate. Hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? Um, a lot of the questions do seem for him, seem to be a little bit badgering, uh, on the one hand. On the other hand, you know, what is this? If somebody asks you a question about evolution, you should answer what you believe. Right, no, right. Uh, uh, I mean, I don't know how relevant that is to, you know, whether a guy could be a good president of the United States or a good governor, but, you know, um, there is some virtue in, in a Giuliani approach, a Chris Christie approach, sometimes a John McCain approach, uh, sometimes a Ronald Reagan approach, where you just Answer the questions. So, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's what I believe. Uh, not quite sure you think that's relevant, but here it is, and let's 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 get to the issues.
0: As as a past uh, editor yourself, what what do you think when the media turn on the media? So the whole Brian Williams thing. Um, you know, there, were, there was a lot of media turning on that, and now you know, as we think about it, um, O'Reilly is now, you know, being accused of other things, and a bunch of media sources are now kind of turning on him as well. What do you think when you see the kind of the political fighting going on between news organizations? Yeah,
2: well, um, wow, that's a good question. I guess, uh, uh, you know, the First Amendment is so central. Uh, 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 freedom of the press is so essential to our democracy and to our to our country. It's really, really important. And I think that reporters in particular have a, a higher duty to the truth and to standards. So I, I actually think some of what's going on in the Brian, you know, Williams situation is a uh, um, it's good. Yeah. It's good to to make sure everybody hey, look, everyone has to be able to standards. And in journalism, I think you need to be held to a higher standard. I think most journalists feel that, by the way. They, yeah. they feel that they're held to a higher standard. So, uh, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's sad that something like that would happen. Uh, but I don't I don't have any problem with the media scrutinizing the media. I mean, uh, I think actually there could be a good deal more of it. Yeah,
0: <laughs> it it's, be yeah, it's, it's interesting, it. isn't it? Yeah, maybe if they yeah. turned on each other a little bit, it might clean some stuff up.
2: Well, looking at this at turning on, I would just say, hey, you know, uh, uh, just looking at fairness, looking at, uh, uh, you know, how, how fair is the media. I, yeah. I think you know, a lot of the newspapers uh, we did at the, the Desert News, but a lot of newspapers do have their internal media critics. Uh, some of them are pretty interesting people.
0: <laughs> That's interesting how you said that, Joe. Okay. There's got to be more to that.
2: Uh, well, you know you're putting a person in a tough position. Yeah. In the New York Times to be the so-called ombudsman, mm-hmm. and sometimes that ombudsman does go after reporters it goes after stories and say, hey, you shouldn't have done this. You know, I, I, I nothing behind it. I was just thinking, yeah. you know, what, what is that person's daily life like, hanging around the reporters that he or she sometimes.
0: Uh, criticizes. I love it. And and to have somebody also kind of standing up for the industry and the the important role that they play kind of as the fourth branch of government. Um, Let's take a break. Uh, We're talking with Joe Cannon, our insider, our DC insider. But uh, when we come back, Joe, I really want to get into a little bit more on the XL pipeline. How, How big of a deal is that really? And with your background in Fuel Freedom Foundation, I think that will be very helpful. I also want to know what Joe Cannon is thinking about. Uh, so you be thinking about that, Joe. What, does, what do the rest of us need to know that you see going on back in D.C.? And uh, where should we be giving some of our focus? We'll take a break. We're uh, talking to Joe Cannon right after this break. More right here on The Matt Townsend Show on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back friends. It's the Matt Townsend Show. In the mornings now. In the mornings. From nine to noon. Eastern time. On the phone. Joe Cannon. Our DC insider. Past Reagan administration official. By the way, uh, assistant administrator at the US uh, EPA uh, Environmental Protection Agency also a past editor of Deseret News and um, the chief executive officer of Fuel Freedom Foundation. Joe, welcome back, my friend. Hey, thanks. Thanks. Hey, talk to me about XL Pipeline. So uh, vetoed by the president, I guess. Right. Uh, Why is this such a big deal? We we already have a bunch of pipelines, right?
2: Well, uh, yeah. As a matter of fact, uh, just for... Our listeners' benefit. There are in the United States 152,000 miles wow. of oil pipelines, and there are 1,566,000 miles of natural gas pipelines. Hmm. So the issue here is.
0: Got a lot of oh, pipelines.
2: You, you, we're not looking at, you know, at the outset, but let, let me say at uh, the outset of my remarks. Uh, uh, as a foundation we do not have a position on on uh, the XL pipeline it's not really directly related to what, what we're doing uh, we you know we support all of the above uh, in terms of uh, air, you know, solutions to energy issues so yeah. so we're there but as so I think I can speak fairly neutrally about it I started my legal career representing natural gas pipelines. <laughs> Uh, Before the Federal (laughs) Energy Regulatory Commission, I spent a lot of my life thinking about pipelines. What we have here is all theology, uh, theology and ideology. On the environmental side, the the view is, look, we need to do whatever we can to stop the uh, development and extraction of oil in general, uh, carbon uh, and oil in general, and these tar sands, uh, resources in particular, and so by blocking the XL pipeline, um, you know that's a it's a symbolic statement. Yeah. I have numerous friends on the environmental side of this who just will privately say this is just symbolic. That oil is going to get produced, and it is going somewhere. Whether it comes down to this in this particular pipeline or not, isn't particularly relevant. So even on, on the environmental side, lots of folks know. This is a symbolic fight but but also on the other side, uh, again, the same thing is true. this oil is going to go somewhere it's going to go to canada it's going to go to the u s even the oil by the way, that comes to the u s on the on this pipeline, most of it's going to end up going out of the United States as a as a refined product
0: It's so, just a pass through um, really right
2: right so so the actual issues around the pipeline are no different than the you know Hundreds of thousands of pipelines out there. You have to do an environmental assessment. You have to figure out how to work. The State Department has already made that determination. Uh, Nobody looking at this thing thinks there's a serious issue. I don't want to say nobody, but but by and large, people, you know, this is another pipeline, another, you know, it just be absorbed into the web of vast web of pipelines in the U.S., uh, but the issues around it are what are symbolic
3: on both sides. Yeah, so,
0: so it's really a battle um, yeah, of ideology, as you're saying, or theology right. almost, and symbolism, when in reality, you know, it's not, it might create 42,000 jobs is one argument, except in the end it's really 35 jobs. Um, but I guess in the end, we, one side does not want the other side to win this argument, or it would start, you know, the cascade of winning many arguments.
2: Yeah, I, yeah. I mean, there's clearly everyone's dug in, way dug in on this, and it, this does turn out to be an issue that, on the actual merits itself, isn't as significant as the huge baggage people bring to it yeah. uh, from both sides. So, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting issue. I mean, I, I think... The, a lot of the times, you hear the discussion. You think, "Oh man, we're we're doing something new here. We're building a yeah. we're building a pipeline. Gas will be fifty no, cents." No, no, no. no. Right? We do all day long, every day. <laughs> pipelines are either repaired or being built someplace in the United States.
0: Right. I mean, so talk to us about the political side of this. It seems like with re- Republicans winning Senate, the Senate in the last election, and increasing their lead in Congress, it seems like a no-brainer that they'd be able to push, especially because some Democrats also want the pipeline because it's going to be running through their state. Why Why can't the Republicans pull off a victory on on well, almost I mean, anything?
2: One of, the, one of the beauties of uh, our constitutional system, right? I, by the way, I need to drop a really big footnote here. We talked last week about Abraham Lincoln, but yeah. we should note for the record that Sunday, was the birthday of the greatest president in the history of the United States, George Washington.
0: There you so, go. La- but, was it last Sunday? Yeah, the huh. uh, So, By the way, you're also but, you're not only our insider, you're our historian. You'll be our show well, historian, Joe.
2: So going back to George Washington's time and the founders, I mean, the genius of our system, there, there, there are multiple layers of genius in, in the constitutional system that we have. One of them is the separation of powers and all of the uh, the, uh, the safeguards built in to protect uh, the, the the powers of the various branches. And one of them is the the legislature just can't go stop on the president anytime it wants. And the president wants to stop a piece of legislation. He's the executive. He can veto it. Um, the, the, uh, the fact, I think, that President Obama has used the veto less than any president since uh, Rutherford B. Hayes. is is interesting, yeah. but it's not. The, it's not really the point. The point is is that he has the power to veto, and the only way Congress can overcome a veto is to have two thirds of the senators. And there are not likely. I mean, uh, uh, there, it's almost certainly the case that there are not two thirds of the senators who are willing to override this veto. So, so the act of You know, probably for the next two years, the XL pipeline isn't going to be built, and uh, the president will have won a symbolic victory
0: here. Talk about, I mean, I guess taking this even further, what about the Homeland Security uh, bill? I mean, right now, you know, if by Friday, if they haven't come up with some type of budget agreement on Homeland Security, I guess a bunch of employees are not going to be paid for their work in the Homeland Security but that's kind of in a weird uh, kind of stalemate with the immigration bill. And now we have kind of a funding bill that's being held up because of another you know political concept of the whole immigration bill that was proposed. So t- just talk about what's going on politically with all of that. Yeah. Uh,
2: so... First, the answer is I don't know, and I don't know that anyone knows. So the, the latest, the actual latest status of things is that the Senator Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has said he's willing to take a vote on funding the Department of Homeland Security, but not having a, not connecting that to basically undoing the uh, President Obama's actions on immigration. Yeah. So. It basically at that level looks like a, a little bit of a win for the for the Democrats uh in the Senate because the whole reason for pulling out the Department of Homeland Security funding from the overall funding of the government was to have this debate. Yeah. So now the question is, yeah, okay, how do you have this debate and do you really want to shut down the Department of Homeland Security? Is that what you want? And and I think McConnell's answer is, you know, Let's let's do some kind of interim funding measure for the Department of Homeland Security to get it back on track with the overall government funding, and then let's have a different fight on immigration. Now, whether that ha- whether everything I just said is true this afternoon, yeah, who knows? I have no idea. This morning, that that seems to be the play. Is as, as McConnell's coming out? He's getting a lot of resistance from his caucus, from the Republicans in the, in the Senate, and of course in the House, where it is pure majority rule. Um, you know they they have uh, uh, they're getting pushed back there, but it seems to be that the speaker of the house and Senator McConnell, Majority Leader McConnell, are kind of together on this one. That's what it seems like. Is
0: this the is this though kind of the the division between uh, maybe more of the kind of Tea Partier side of bo- of the Republican Party fighting kind of the traditional establishment. The Tea Party is not yeah. wanting the immigration – well, I mean, basically trying to take yeah. the immigration proposals from President Obama out.
2: Exactly. Well, I think there's very wide support for that across oh, is there the, the philosophical side on the Republican side. Those, mm. I, I think if you ask Mitch McConnell, he would give a very stirring speech on, on the lawlessness of uh, President Obama's uh, immigration actions so he i think that there's what what you have here really is a disagreement on tactics how you would go about it and and there is a divide there between the more conservative part of the republican senate and the more i don't want to say moderate but but the the other side says like let's let's tee up our tactics you know in a way that we could really have a chance of winning and not do something symbolic that you know might you know a lot of this comes down to: Do you want to win, or do you want to feel good? A lot of people want to win in life, but sometimes that's a lot more boring yeah. than feeling good. You can feel good by making great speeches,
3: and,
2: uh-huh. and sound. You can feel really virtuous, and you can feel really good. But winning, most of the times, is a much more patient process.
0: It seems like, um, and it just helped me understand this. It seems like the Democratic uh, the Senate and Congress might be playing a better game than the Republican Senate and Congress. Like it seems like they're getting a little bit more of what they want or they're putting enough in the way that it, it it's easier to kind of divide and conquer. Is that yeah. happening or is that just you know, kind of what we're reading?
2: I I, I think that uh, I think that kind of remains to be seen. Uh, uh Senator McConnell's a pretty wily guy yeah uh and And Senator Reed is a pretty wily guy <laughs> you know they, the the guys have been fighting those two guys have been at odds with each other for a lot of years now, and they know each other pretty well and uh and so I, yeah I, I do think the Democrats often get the better things because just God, not to reveal too much of my own Republican history. It does seem like the media tends to line up on behalf of the Democrats more often than
0: yeah, so maybe that's what we hear more of. Um,
2: but on the other on the other hand, uh, there is a, a whole issue of tactics here. Did you really want to shut down the government?
0: Right. On
2: one issue, when you're trying to get another issue done. Yeah. And and some people think there there's a, a bigger toolkit than that that can be brought to play here.
0: Yeah. Hey, do you think uh, Harry Gre- Harry Reid's sunglasses are going to take off? Do you think all the senators are going to start <laughs> wearing those? It is true. I heard <laughs> that poor guy. Honestly, yeah.
1: I
2: yeah, hope he's okay. A- uh, it, it's really? really sad that, you know, he, he has, those pictures are out there, right? Yeah. It's just kind of sad. But
0: well, the rest of us, if we did the same thing and we had to go to work, we'd still be embarrassed and frustrated, And but we're not in the eye of the country.
2: Yeah, we're not going to be on the front page of the Washington Post <laughs> or the New York Times. That's right. Totally. Hey, you know, you asked about what else is on my mind. Yeah, I what know, is on your mind? The longer you, you have. But I, I will say, I think the issue that's occurring right now that has the potential most... Impact on everyday citizens of the United States, but as the least understood and least watched, except that tens of millions of dollars of lobbying money has been spent on this, is something called net neutrality. Yeah, and so I just wanted—I just wanted to, you know—to to, bring that up. To,
0: we, we've talked about it on yeah. the show before. I mean, even just last week, but even today, there's—you know—the FCC's having its well, own squabbles <laughs> right now, right? And they're about to make a, right, have a right. vote.
2: Yeah, tomorrow, uh, tomorrow, this is going to be voted on, and I think everyone believes it's it's going to happen. So, just the idea that bumper sticker of net neutrality is the bumper sticker. Oh, the idea of net neutrality sounds really good. Uh, you want to make sure you have open access and
0: keep everyone out. Yeah,
2: uh, and make sure everyone has equal opportunity there. But <laughs> as often happens, maybe always happens. Uh, you know, this this uh, document that's going to be a proposed rule by the Federal Communications Commission, kept secret, which is mm-hmm. you, know, a, you know generally not consistent with how things happen in the regulatory world. Generally, you put it out there and you talk about it. And that's going to happen. I mean, this, what, what really the vote is, is to propose these net neutrality rules. But just take a guess. So we just say the two words, net neutrality. It's got a lot of good feelings around yeah. that. How big would you say this regulation would be? This proposal is going to be.
0: Oh. I'd say a a one out of ten, simply because (laughs) it's done in secret. I mean, I think it has to get the the daylight. It has to come to daylight to have people.
2: No, no, but I I didn't ask the question very well. I'm not the good interlocutor. How large, how many pages is it going to take to describe (laughs) what the FCC says is net neutrality?
0: Yeah, Uh, a thousand
2: yeah well, that's you know that's what you should say <laughs> Actually, three hundred and twenty two pages
0: oh really oh, that's great that's small well well, that's nothing
2: that's a lot of, that's a lot of detail
0: <laughs> to, and, you know to define two words
2: is, what what we're doing what what's really happening here uh i I'm not quite sure where i, I there are a lot of concepts' net neutrality that I think are very important and it's really important to protect, but do you need to regulate the internet the same way you regulate? Questar, right? Or, you know, uh, a, a, an electric utility. Uh, I have on my in my office a uh, black, heavy black rotary dial telephone,
0: uh-huh.
2: Uh the olden kind. You're too young
0: to remember. No, I remember him. Okay. I totally do.
2: <laughs> you turn that over, you read the bottom of it, and it says "Property of the Bell System, <laughs> not for retail, not for resale." No? Interesting. That was. You didn't even own your telephone you
0: in your home, sitting in color. your living room. Yeah,
2: you didn't get the, you didn't get to choose the color of your telephone until <laughs> I think the seventies. Yeah, um, and so that's the provision that regulated AT and T that regulates other quote common carriers and the same principle, the same concept that regulate other natural monopolies is now going to be applied to the greatest innovation in the history of mankind in terms of of something that grew up without regulation.
3: And, right. and,
2: you know, it's, it's going to be regulated like a public utility. And I guess I would say Americans ought to be aware of that, because with that's going to come fees. Yeah. It's going to be a tremendous intrusion. It's going to be a whole regulatory lawyers are going to get involved. Uh, and I, I think the country should be really aware. Now, I think I think sounds really terrific. That's a neat the idea. Yeah, regulating the Internet, the way you regulated, uh, the way we regulate public utilities, not such a good idea. Well, and
0: especially, can you regulate it? I mean, it was created by a bunch. In the end, it's now been actually, I guess, you know, perpetuated by a, by a bunch of renegades who are who can hide and who can't be found and who can shut down businesses and can access. I mean. It's it's a weird idea to think that you're going to regulate something that has a lot of its own mind. Well, well,
2: no, exactly. The theory of regulation is you don't want to... Electric utilities building power plants and building power lines around Salt Lake City yeah. or Des Moines, Iowa or Washington, D.C. You don't want that. So that's the theory: is you regulate "quote natural close quote" monopolies. Mm-hmm. There is nothing monopolistic about. Yeah, you know, we know companies come and go. Companies you've never heard of were big. It's yeah. Well, uh, this is the, the Wild West. This is the market, the free market at its best. <laughs> By the way, probably couldn't have happened uh, or would have been very constrained if uh, the government hadn't broken up the bell system all right but by breaking up that monopoly it, it liberated so many people so much innovation that all of a sudden you had innovation in telecommunications which easily crept into innovation in uh, on the internet and so
0: no, I think it you're right,
2: wonderful creation and now you're going to treat it like um, you know yeah like like, like uh, something like yeah. pacific gas and electric
0: that's right that man can control uh joe we so appreciate you my friend and we're, we'll, we'll we'll talk to you next week and maybe we'll actually have you come back and we'll we'll, we'll refocus on net neutrality and what was at least the outcome of their vote joe cannon a uh, great great man um again so appreciate him and his work even with fuel freedom foundation we'll take a break come back Wrap up this first hour of the Matt Townsend Show. You're listening to us right here on Sirius XM 143 BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, what an interesting discussion. And when you think about it, how do you regulate the Internet? I mean, I guess you can try to regulate some of the providers, but you're not going to contain the guy that's already hacking and already doing all of these things on the sly. Uh, you know, but the, you know, we've got to tax you for that. Well, good luck, man. Have you heard of Edward Snowden? Edward Sn- I mean, again, it's like trying I guess to regulate the ocean. Good luck.
4: I feel like you'd just be stoking the fires too. Yeah, you know, you already have like anonymous out there and everything. That if you try to regulate it, then you're going to have a lot of people battling you. A lot of people that are a lot better at using the internet than you are. Well, I think about
0: how how much do they really even know about it? I get it; they need access. People need access. They need kind of the freedom to have access and not have to pay huge fees with people throttling, uh, you know, your access. But I don't know. I kind of worry any time the the federal government gets involved in anything. I don't know. Am I just maybe I'm becoming cynical? That heaven forbid. Um, did you hear this latest news? Seventeen thousand is that right? That seems like a lot. Seventeen thousand federal employees earned more than two hundred thousand dollars in twenty fourteen. Does that seem weird? That's a lot. 17,000. 17,000. A partial database compiled by the website fedsdatacenter.com shows that 16,900 federal workers, or 1.6% of the federal workforce, eclipse that lofty earning threshold. Now, I mean, 1.6% of our federal workers, that's not a lot, making 200,000.
4: Yeah, I was I was worried there. You said seventeen thousand, but it's just sixteen thousand nine
0: hundred. Yeah, it's just sixteen thousand okay. nine hundred. No worries. Okay. That's up from approximately fifteen thousand federal workers who attained this level of comfort in twenty thirteen. So it's going up a thirteen percent increase. Wow. But you know, a lot of these people are the are doctors supposedly working for the Veteran Affairs. You got to pay them, right? They're, they'll go somewhere else if not, or they might be directors in certain agencies. Um, but I don't know. I also – by the way, those are the ones reported. I also think of how many consultants are making millions of dollars consulting for the government or the military. I don't know. We're going to have, uh, we're going to have regulation from the federal government on an entity like the internet. Yet we've also seen what some of their oversight has done in other places like the VA system, or, I don't know, IRS,
1: or postal system. Just name a department or of the, of the government. Yeah, I mean, you just and I don't going. want
0: to be down on them. It's just, I mean, I, I get it. But, too, I mean, maybe there's kind of a happy medium here of we still need to make sure people have access. We need to make sure that it's fair play.
1: I don't know. Just don't mess with my Internet. It's like Texas. Well, the fear is if they don't do something, then your provider's going to mess with the Internet. Yeah, so... And keep you from having access. Right. Except there's also,
0: isn't there, you still have the power of the Internet, right? So even if I'm being played...
1: Well, yeah, the power of the Internet, but instead of, you know, 50 megabytes a second, you're getting like 12 or or 5. So what happens... And then you can't do whatever you want to do. Right, but what happens to a system when
0: an entity is oppressing or throttling or regulating, maybe the system itself would actually fix itself. Does that make sense? Maybe the system itself would create a change. Other than... Just hoping the federal government will come in and create a change because they will. No doubt they'll provide a very secure change along with 50 other unintended consequences. Yes. And it'll then be game on. And then you have bureaucracy 101.
4: Ah! Yeah, I think that's the biggest problem is that lawmaking is a very slippery slope. You know that in theory, it sounds great. Yeah. But then it when totally in practice is it's like – so much can go wrong.
0: Well, and the systems are complex. So if this was just cause A meets cause B and or effect B, then all this, that'd be great. Let's just cause A and B. Let's just fix that. Yeah. But it's not. It's multiple cause, multiple effect. It's multiple everything. It's. I mean, this is going to, this is going to impact. And maybe there's other ways than creating a you know a legislation of 300 pages. And by the way, that's 300 pages out of one committee in the FCC, with probably some input from the White House. Maybe. Um, But what will be amazing is when that concept is handed to Congress and that 300 pages is turned into 2000 to then regulate the complexities of the Internet. Hmm. Oh, well, I guess it's not my problem. (laughs) Thanks, Joe, for bringing that up. Anyway, we're going to take a break. Not a downer. When we come back, though, we got uh, some great stuff coming up. Would you ever believe that um, you already knew that exercise makes you feel good, right? And we always think it's, you know, because it creates the endorphins, the chemistry. What if I told you that exercise may actually protect your brain from depression, not because it creates good dopamine type of effects or, or you know, endorphin runs. Maybe it's just really creating something else, like getting rid of the junk in your body. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll be getting into that. This is the Matt Townsend Show right here on BYU Radio. Good morning everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend show. I'm your host Dr. Matt Townsend. Hour number 2. Hour number 2. We've made it 1 hour. And the FCC has not shut us down yet.
1: Hmm. Do they regulate the internet yet? I don't know. They'd I don't have know. to look that up. Cuz regula- I don't know do if they Do they- internet
0: do they regulate satellite radio? I don't I don't know how that cuz I mean I was told by Don nobody regulates us. No. We're unregulatable.
1: Well, we're regulated. You always have a boss. Someone's always telling you what to do. Maybe maybe Don was just telling me that to
0: trick me. It's a trick. Hey, welcome to the program. Have we got a show for you? We've got a great guest coming in talking about um, depression and exercise. We've always known if you exercise, you get all the good chemistry. But some of the latest research actually shows that exercise doesn't just bring good chemistry. It actually kind of takes out the garbage. It helps you get rid of the bad chemistry that leads to depression. It flushes. Free radicals
1: and toxins. Yes. And you're like, what is that? Sounds like a bad drink. And I don't know. I saw it in a James Bond movie. <laughs> he was at a health spa, and they're like, we're here to flush the free radicals. And he was all, um. That's it. All right. That's it. I got to write that down. <laughs> free radicals and toxins. And then they gave him some cucumbers and mm. a hot compress because, you know, it's a spa. <laughs> And then he beat up some guy that came in, yeah, and then someone got shot. Some sort and he of a drove away a spy his jaguar. Yeah. jaguar. It was awesome, but yeah, classic he, James free
0: Bond. radicals, free radicals and toxins and toxins. We'll be talking to uh, Jorge Ruas later, who uh, was one of the authors in that study. Just you know, good stuff. Of course, again, bringing you the ideas, the solutions you need for your life. But first, let's get to some of the headlines. Terry South, Congress, what's happening?
1: Congress has until Friday to either to pass. A bill to fund Homeland Security. This yeah. is current fight that's going on. Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has offered a vote on a clean bill to fund <laughs> the agency, followed by one on President Obama's executive actions on immigration. Originally, they were together, Together, and let's now, now he separated them, yeah. and they want to have a clean vote on Homeland Security and then another vote on the bill. By the, the way,
0: honestly, brilliant. That's what I would teach couples, is if you want to clarify it and make something happen, let's not combine everything. This, of course, break it
1: down into clean bills. This, of course, after four attempts to pass the combo bill yeah. that have failed, now he's going with the other option. And, and everybody's moaning, I guess, I don't know, in the GOP, like, ah, oh, you're giving in. Senate Democrats have threatened to block even the clean bill. Unless John Boehner can uh, guarantee that the House GOP will pass a similar bill. There's a lot of talk. People are mad at John Boehner. Yes. And this, it goes on. Sources have the GOP split between immigration hardliners and moderates. It was evident at a meeting of Republican senators yesterday where Alabama Senator Jeff Sessions argued against McConnell's two-vote plan Hmm. and called for an all-out battle with Democrats. Wow! Insiders complain that the House and Senate GOP leaders appear unable to agree on strategy, and <gasps> some are even speculating: Are they even talking to each other? Knockdown 2015. The so, clean Homeland Security. What bill. we're finding is more of the same. Yeah. And as we're going to fix it, some infighting apparently. Yeah, they call it politics. That's right. Huh, it's any kind other of interesting. news? Uh, Oklahoma lawmakers last week voted overwhelmingly overwhelmingly to ban AP history from high school. Get it out of here, AP history. <laughs> what? So they, they 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 were persuaded by the argument that it only teaches students what is bad about America. Well, only if that's the history. Other lawmakers are seeking a court ruling that would effectively prohibit the teaching of all AP courses in public schools. It is believed that the AP history class fails to teach American exceptionalism. Okay. What? Yeah.
0: So really they want AP – they're just getting rid
1: of AP history for unexceptional approaches to history. It sounds like if – there's anything negative our country did yeah. in history we want we don't focus on that focus on the great things we've done only. <laughs> and it's like it's called history we just oh, talk about great. what happened not, you know, yeah. pick and choose and but then they're saying the they're, the other side of the argument is that the AP classes are picking and choosing and they're purposely picking negative. So I guess I mean what do we I guess they just talk about how we helped rebuild Japan or we helped the Indians find reservations to yeah. live on. We gave them a wonderfully yeah. enclosed, safe place to live.
0: But we brought I'm... a lot of people from Africa to America, free, right, right. free of charge. And that's, no. that's I mean, kinda, Think of that. Yeah.
1: there's a history and but, history. And the, can't uh, be. the other side, they're, they're saying there's too much negative, not enough positive. Well,
0: okay, I, okay, sure. So well, I guess balanced history, but isn't history history? Yeah, well, and then
4: change the curriculum. If you think there's too much negative, just you can yeah, shake things up let's a little strengthen bit. The curriculum.
1: And they are they are taking AP history out of school. It's not required. You can teach a history class without AP history. That's AP crazy. is just to get college credit. By the way, I, yeah. I'm
0: glad because I I think all AP should go away. Because I never could do AP. Me either.
1: <laughs> so I struggled through those. Classes. So we're lowering think, the standard yeah. for everyone. Lower the standard. Perfect. That's and great. Let's just keep it all positive. We're em, we're embracing American exceptionalism.
4: Let's get rid of honor classes, any college credit classes. Okay, yeah, yeah. This is a this, this is, is great.
1: This is kind of a subtle
0: hit at Obama, or maybe the left. They would say the progressives that don't, that only point out the bad things that that America does.
1: Yeah, it feeds back kind of into the sure. overall news story of. How much do I mean, we I guess
0: this goes back to my whole point last hour of this is why maybe touching the internet is a bad idea <laughs> because if the concept is we just we just kind of try to vote out what we don't like, where does this end? You're, you're you're actually frustrated with AP history students, and and you're you're going to not them the curriculum and you're going to take it out on them.
1: It just seems a little strange. Yes, call me old fashioned. So interesting there. <laughs> A study pinpoints the safest place to hide from the oncoming, upcoming zombie apocalypse. Oh, ah, uh, where I have been wondering, where does one hide from
0: zombies? Yeah, where would you go if there was a zombie yeah. apocalypse? What would be your first choice? Where's the safest?
1: Disneyland? No, I'd go to a mall.
4: That place has got security. Go to a mall. I would go to a mall because you have like all of the supplies you need. You have like outdoor. Gear. You have clothing. Uh, you have
0: a food court. Well, I'd, I'd probably go more to. I'd go. I'd go where there's s- guns. I'd either go to a hardware store
1: or a gun store. Okay. What if there's zombies there? Use well, the guns. You, you take care of them. Wouldn't they be able to use the guns too? Or are they no, not? They, zombie. no, they zombies. Zombies. No, they never passed <laughs> hunter <No>. safety. <laughs> it's hard to get into hunter safety. For the a study. Zombie. Some Cornell University researchers modeled what a typical zombie outbreak would look like. I don't know what that the is. Typical. And they concluded that the major cities would be toast within days. Of course. Major yeah. Major populations, less populated areas would be unaffected for weeks. Mm-hmm. The northern mountain time zone could be safe for months because it's kind of isolated. The northern mountain time not zone not a lot so of the mountain
0: region so Idaho, the Tetons. Idaho you're safe.
1: Yeah, I guess so I that. Know. I guess that's Northern Mountains. Research will present. Researchers will present their findings at a meeting of the American Physical Society in San Antonio on March fifth. Be there, by the way. Uh, I always like to know what organization is going to hear the presentation. Said, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it, it said it. It did what? It scoped a, a kind of a traditional rollout of zombie apocalypse. Or yeah, a, a typical zombie outbreak. What they modeled it. Okay, they based it off of kind of like if a disease uh-huh if okay. it kind of spread that way because that's kind of what the premise of all this is is well, a, except, a disease yeah. outbreak that's that's great that's great so everybody head to the west uh, is, was it the west yes. the, the mountain west northern mountain
0: west so if you're on idaho. the east
1: coast head west yeah come on specifically over specifically northern idaho there's a lot of room hey don't it's beautiful I, up there don't stop in utah you can pick up some supplies <laughs> and just don't keep no, no, no 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 no
0: <laughs> just keep going north go to wyoming montana Right. There's some beautiful
1: mountains up there. And apparently it's safe and Well, we'll a, zombie's you. Gonna, a
0: zombie's not going to a zombie's not going to want to go up into the mountains. The odds no. of finding I guess human flesh to
1: eat. That's why the bigger cities work, the bigger population. You yeah, have a, to get away from people. Mm. A That's typical really zombie
4: isn't going to go north. He's going to go to the main Well, a typical zombie is probably going
0: to go south. Yeah. Yeah. Cuz it's warmer. Everyone knows that. Zombies <laughs> love
1: and they'll all be wearing Bermuda shorts. <laughs> right. Just hanging out. Tops. So there's some uh, oh, some important news as we look at different studies. Do you the ever wonder, uh, do we just
0: have too much time?
1: Uh, apparently, we're studying. I mean, this is, a, and they're going to go present the paper. Cornell University wow. somehow paid for this because
0: mm. it's not done for free. What we ought to be banning is zombie apocalypse studies, not well, AP. We're not going to have an AP history class, so we could do an AP, AP zombie zombie uh, apocalypse yeah, yeah. class. Brilliant. See, folks, this is information you don't get on any other station. I mean, a lot of people would not elevate that to the point of talking about it. It's news. But we do. We bring it to you, folks. (laughs) When we come back, we're going to talk about exercise and its power to protect your brain from depression. Exercise doesn't just bring the good feelings. It also has a potential of flushing out some of the bad chemistry that might be driving you into the dumps. We'll take a break. When we come back, we'll get into the subject right here on The Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. Welcome back, everybody, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, on the show, we always like to give you a heads up in some of the latest research. And uh, one of the things that we found fairly interesting is an article about exercise and depression and how it may help protect the brain against depression. And so think about it. How do you deal with your stress, right? For some of us, it's just a bar of chocolate. Others, a little Ben and Jerry's, a good movie. For others, you get out into nature, you meditate, you read a good book. But some people just go work out. You know, there's the off-quoted line from Legally Blonde that goes, exercise gives you endorphins. Endorphins make you happy. Happy people don't shoot their husbands. They just don't. It's, by the way, very good, uh, very good research right there on, from Legally Blonde. Um, The institute in Stockholm, Sweden, recently called Karolinska, recently found a connection between exercise and a protein that protects the brain against depression. Professor Jorge Ruas uh, of Karolinska Institute joins us now to shed further light on the subject. Dr. Ruas, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Hi. How are you today?
5: I'm good, thank you. Thanks a lot for the invitation to talk about our work on muscle training and uh, depression.
0: You bet. It it, it is fascinating. I mean, I guess we all kind of have known that, you know, a workout could create endorphins and create a lot of good chemistry for us. But, But your work on... Um, on the muscles and and how it impacts depression, it's not it's not about creating more chemistry. It seems like it's more about removing certain chemicals.
5: Yes, yeah, so that was exactly the question we wanted to answer when we started this study. Because as you said, we've known for many many years that physical exercise is very efficient in treating many disorders and and, and preventing many disorders, including diabetes, obesity, and even psychiatric disease like stress-induced depression. Hmm. But what we did not know is it, what is it about physical exercise that has this therapeutic effect? Is it endorphisms that you mentioned? Is it because you go to the gym and you talk to people and there's a social interaction effect? Or uh, does it have to do with the muscle conditioning itself, as we found in the end that it
0: that it does? So so to maybe describe that. The, the muscle and the working and the conditioning of the muscle actually ends up doing what to our chemistry?
5: Right. So... Um, The way that we went about this study was, my my lab is interested in muscle physiology. So a lot of the projects we have in the lab are trying to understand how muscle changes if you exercise or if you don't, or if you are a diabetic person, or if you have a muscular disease. And we try to understand not only how muscle changes, but then how does that affect the rest of your body? And I always remind people that on an average lean person, muscle, skeletal muscle, the muscle that is attached to your bones, Represents 35 to 40 percent of your body mass. Hmm. So the way that your muscle feels actually matters a lot to your overall health. And because of the work we have developed in muscle in other labs, we knew already that if you exercise, there is this protein called PGC1 that increases in muscle and that has all kinds of beneficial effects for you. And people have shown that in the context of obesity, diabetes, cardiovascular disease. That if you exercise, you have more PTC1 in your muscle, that has beneficial effects. Interesting. And so we in the lab have a lot of mouse models that we use um, for different projects. And one of the mouse models that we have that we use in this particular study is a, um, is a mouse model in which we genetically change the muscle so that muscle artificially expresses very high levels of this PTC1. Okay. So what happened to these mice is that by changing the levels of this, only this molecule, this PGC1 molecule, these mice, we call them in a lot the marathon runners because without any kind of exercise training, they perform as if they have been training wow. uh, endurance exercise. Yeah, so they can run longer on the treadmill. They are resistant to high fat, uh, induced obesity. So they, they're very healthy mice. So the, 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 the thing that is unique about these mice is that now you have a model in which you have isolated muscle conditioning genetically without the need of intervention of, of exercise protocols, which would be a confounding effect, because then you bring in cardiovascular effects, stress, and, and, and whatnot. So that was basically the beginning of the study. We used this mouse model to ask the question, if we only change muscle conditioning genetically, is that does that have an effect on, on depression or... Is it something else about exercise?
0: Mm. What did you find?
5: So what we found is that we, we went into this study believing that, as people have seen in other diseases, that healthy muscle can actually send out messages, secrete proteins into the body that have beneficial effects. In this particular case, we actually found the contrary, that if you train, trained muscle becomes almost like a detoxification organ that is able to eliminate a substance called kinurenin that accumulates under stressful conditions and that people have linked to neuroinflammation, depression, mm. schizophrenia, different psychiatric diseases. Uh, so if you have trained muscle, this molecule actually never makes it up to your brain because your muscle just changes, changes it to something else that cannot go up to your
0: brain. Oh, interesting. So it really, it's, it's just, it's taking the toxics, the toxicity of canurenin renin out of your exactly. system. Exactly. And it, so that's and, not going to so go that, in and something. settle in your brain.
5: Exactly. So that, um, that, had work, uh, that was work that had been done before showing that under stressful conditions, uh, your body actually tra- takes the amino acid tryptophan that we use, the body uses for many other things, takes this amino acid tryptophan and converts it into kynurenine. And this kynurenine, if it accumulates in your brain, it causes changes related to inflammation and neuronal plasticity and uh, neuronal transmission that are associated with depression. Hmm. So what we found is that if you have trained muscle, and this applies not only to the mouse studies, but we also validated it later in human exercise studies, And if you have trained muscle, this molecule, even if it accumulates in your body, it never makes it to your brain because your muscle just changes it to the, basically to the acid form, the kinetic acid, that does not have this ability to, to move from your blood into your brain.
0: Okay. And then, and then I guess, I, I, I think about it, um, so if somebody's out there not exercising at all, this, this acid i not the acid just uh the, the canurenin, um what'd you call it? it not the acid type the other type is staying in yeah it's staying in your muscles and but then eventually those toxins get to your brain and, exactly. and and then it also does other things i guess it it makes you less uh I mean it affects your neural plasticity so you're probably less yeah. able to break a habit or make a habit because isn't neuroplasticity
5: We still don't actually know the precise brain mechanism that confers toxicity to kineurandine, but a lot of studies have shown that accumulation of kineurandine in the brain is related to depression, suicidal tendencies, schizophrenia, almost in a quantitative way that if you have so very, very high levels have been found in patients with schizophrenia and so on. but, of course, there's a lot more work to be done in terms of how this affect the cognition and so many
0: other aspects. Absolutely. I think um, one of the things I know I, I wonder is, does it matter how much you exercise? Does it just matter more that you exercise daily? You don't have to go... Be a weightlifter. I mean, I guess you're, this is early in your studies, so you may not know all of that. But I, I guess so, any yeah. exercise would would help.
5: That's a good. point. So what, what? All of the study. This this particular study was all done. With uh, models of aerobic type exercise, so endurance type exercise. So we're talking about running. We're talking about cycling, swimming. We did not look in this study. We did not look if resistance training, weightlifting, would have the same kind of effect. So at this point, what we can say is that you need to exercise. You need to exercise enough that your muscle actually feels the challenge. Okay. So for this particular, for this particular beneficial effect, it's not enough just to go around the block. That would be good. For glucose uh, homeostasis, diabetes, and so on. But for this particular beneficial effect, you have to train. So, muscle needs to feel the adaptation. Mm. I don't know if I'm being Yeah, clear you need muscle. to have
0: the burn, probably. You've got to feel the strain of the muscles in exactly. order to, to basically probably go burn out the can you're in. It. Exactly. exactly. D-
5: so, this, this is a particular beneficial effect that you will only get if you train your muscles to achieve a higher level of performance, let's put it like that. Okay. Um, for other things that we know, especially like diabetes, for example, it is enough just to to move uh, constantly and have uh, some kind of um, exercise in your daily life. But for this particular purpose, you need to, to train. Basically. Yeah.
0: Let's do this, Jorge. We're, uh, we're talking with Dr. Jorge Ruiz, uh, who's one of the authors of this study, um, helping us understand how the exercising, just exercising your muscles can actually help prevent or or actually rid your brain of certain toxins that might lead to more depression when we come back i will get into it a little bit deeper i also want to find out you know the future of this where does this end up taking it not only is exercise good on a variety of different levels but what if it was actually a process of ridding your toxins moving the stuff through you moving some of these Toxic chemicals away from your brain. We'll take a break when we come back. More with Jorge Ruiz right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, research conducted uh, by the Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. Sweden recently found out that there's that connection between your exercise and a protein that protects the brain against depression. Professor Jorge Ruiz of the Karolinska Institute joins us right now again. Dr. Ruiz, thank you for, for uh, you know, making this happen. I know it's hard to do it at such a long distance, but this is great research. Um, is it first of all just for fun? I earlier you talked about how you conditioned mice to uh, to actually have you know strong you know muscle tone and abilities, the marathon mice you were calling them, um, without yeah. having to exercise. I think if you would just go market that product, you'd have a lot of happy Americans.
5: Right, right. So, so we're not thinking of marketing the product, I know. but we have actually been developing. Uh, some projects in the lab to try to see if we can artificially activate this system in muscle. Hmm. And, and not necessarily so that people can achieve laziness, yeah. but there are a lot of people with muscular disease, diabetes, obesity, that even if they want to exercise, they cannot.
0: Interesting. I mean, that's oh, a great connection, yeah. actually. Huh? Because if somebody has you know, multiple sclerosis or some, some disease or disorder exactly. that actually makes them incapable of exercising, then they're more prone to depression anyway. And maybe this is one of the exactly. reasons.
5: So those are the, exactly. So those are the people that I, we're thinking about as we try to see, is it possible to develop a new class of medication, of therapy, that would actually try to activate these mechanisms in muscle, hmm. uh, either to help you uh, treat the disease or maybe to help you get healthy enough that you could then add physical exercise to this kind of intervention. So we are, we are looking into that very actively.
0: You know, it's interesting, too. Um, I, I know that there's, a, there's some type of correlation between having a heart attack and depression um it, it's interesting cuz the heart is a muscle i wonder if there's some can, and you know strong muscle i wonder if i mean the the ends to this research i guess there's no end is there
5: yeah, I'm, we are looking into all of that. There, as you said, there are certain diseases like diabetes, um, chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, heart disease, kidney disease, uh, that they have very, very high incidence of depression, even when compared with other chronic diseases. So we are now initiating several studies in collaboration with, with the clinicians that study the different diseases to see if the pathway that we found actually also applies to those other huh. diseases.
0: Well and I guess you you probably maybe you're there or not. Um so we know that we need to exercise long enough that we that we actually feel strain in the muscles. Does it matter mm-hmm. which muscles? Does it matter how how long you actually exercise? Does any of that matter? Uh we don't think
5: although we have not tested, but we don't think that the kind of muscle actually makes a difference. Um the the length of exercise goes back to the point I was trying to make before which is You need to maintain muscle in a challenged way so that muscle needs to feel that these mechanisms have to be up. So, again, the idea that you have to challenge yourself continuously, it doesn't have to be an enormous challenge, but you have to keep challenge continuous so that your muscle keeps these these defenses up, basically.
0: Yeah, and I guess um, really what it is, though, is it's just it's really more the release of the chemistry in the brain that fights the depression. Is that right?
5: Exactly, exactly. So it's it's preventing this kainurenin molecule to go up to your brain and accumulating there that is relieving from, from this neuroinflammation and all of the changes in the brain that are then associated with depression.
0: And I guess, I mean, so one way is the exercise. Is there not just a way to decrease the kainurenin?
5: Well, I mean, I don't think that people have tried those approaches, I'm sure. This is what uh,
0: I guess you're I opening up, them. yeah.
5: Yeah, I mean, one thing that we always have to be careful is that these molecules—they have a function in physiology. Right. So You cannot just get rid of kinin because you would interfere with, as far as we know, activation of the immune system. That's that's why. So it's always a little bit of a, of a quantitative game, you know. Yeah. Too much of kinin is bad for you, but not enough would also be bad for you.
0: Is is there an immediate effect? Is it is it something where right after we're exercising or as we're exercising, it's 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 having its effect? Does it happen after you're done? So.
5: Yeah, so all of the studies that we have done were were actually about exercise training, so all about a more chronic kind of exercise. We haven't tested yet how soon after one bout of exercise you would start to feel these beneficial effects. So all we tested was long-term, so more exercise training than physical exercise acutely, basically.
0: Do Is there some kind of... I mean, I know a lot of times with the body, you know, it evolved this way. Was there some reason that it that a lack of exercise would have pushed a depression to to communicate to the person for some reason.
5: I think I think that's a very very good point. I think we have started to think about muscle in in kind of in the lines that you're talking about. Meaning evolutionarily we are probably now at the lowest physical activity ever. Yeah,
3: it's true. Our
5: huh? Muscles evolved yeah. to be at a very high level of training that because we don't move as much we have lost those. So we see we start to see a lot of these diseases as because we have stopped moving as much, you became susceptible to things that maybe in the past you were not because yeah. you, you had these defenses up
0: that's interesting does it is it does that make sense yeah, yeah, no totally absolutely and I mean, it's true, I haven't thought of that necessarily that we are we are I know I've always thought we're more sedentary, but man, if all of a sudden being sedentary and not using your muscles means you are you are actually accumulating more toxins, you're literally dying from the inside out.
5: And if you think about it, in evolution terms, it's only, I mean, let's say 100 years, maybe maybe, maybe a little bit more, that we have stopped moving so much. I mean, even before, when people were more working in, like, physical activity-related kind of uh, labor, yeah. you would move. And nowadays, we don't at all. We, set, no. we use cars to move around, and so on and so on. So I think what has happened is that we have lowered our defenses uh, in several tissues, but including muscle which as i mentioned before it's it accounts for so much of your body weight and mass so
0: that's great I and mean, this is i mean i love it i think this is cutting edge but it's also it just seems kind of like duh i mean it seems like a no-brainer <laughs> right but you're now validating it how cool is that that's got to be great I mean, for this you. It has
5: been one of the most satisfying things about this study that has gotten a lot of attention, but also hearing from the clinicians directly. This is something that we can use right away in the clinic. Even, yeah. even as information, explaining to a patient, why am I telling you to go uh, running? Why is this actually good for you? and. What we have heard from the clinicians is that compliance to the treatment will increase because people like to know, why am I doing this? Why is this good for me? So that's been very satisfying.
0: So now it's a prescription. I mean, and I guess doctors have probably been prescribing, you know, exercise forever. But now you're saying now they'll have a motivator. They'll have theory behind it.
5: Yeah. I actually don't know in the United States, but in Sweden, uh, physicians can prescribe physical exercise uh, as, yeah. as a treatment, as a prescription, a proper prescription. And, uh, of course, the compliance is a problem, especially in depression. Uh, people who are depressed, they have problems mm-hmm. acquiring any kind of routine that much for physical exercise. Um, so so the two benefits from this study, we think, is on the one side, you can try to increase compliance by explaining in detail to the person, listen, if you exercise, if you train, your body will get rid of something that is causing your disease. On the other hand, is the more therapeutic approach that we're trying to to take on it that I was uh, just mentioning before. Can we find drugs that activate these mechanisms for people who cannot, for some reason, perform physical exercise?
0: Um, Again, we're talking with Dr. Jorge Ruiz, who's an assistant professor of molecular and cellular exercise physiology at Karolinska Institute in Stockholm, Sweden. And we're discussing a study that he recently... Uh, wrote some articles about that um, basically says the more we exercise our muscles, the more we can actually remove certain toxins that might be harmful to our brain and even in- increase the likelihood of having depression. Uh, Jorge, do you when you think about this, I I really I wonder if if a family is born maybe more pr- more physically strong, uh, maybe a, a stronger muscular skeleton, you know, f- structure. It it seems like, are they, do you know yet if they're less prone to depression? So, is a body type or style? Okay. It just seems interesting because if you're kind of more naturally the athletic type and naturally are athletic, I wonder if that is just means you're less likely... I'm
5: I'm sure there will be something there, but it is also a difficult study to perform, because one of the things about physical exercise is that it has so many different components. It does, doesn't it? Yeah. I I mean, what you mentioned in the beginning is still true. People get positive rewards from physical exercise, and endorphin release, and so on. So what we could do in this study, because of the mouse models, was to isolate how much muscle contributes to the therapeutic effect. But what you are saying, if the person is more outdoorsy, and likes physical... There's many things that can maybe contribute to this resilience to depression so but it's probably there's probably something there I,
0: w- yeah. I would say so that's great I, and I think I really congratulations to you again I know it's just the beginning but to also Thank know you. that okay. we're, we're finding out the, the, the complexity one of the things I like to talk on the show a lot about is how com- complex the systems are and it's not always just one cause one effect it's multiple cause multiple effect and I guess you've got the job of having to sort out that complexity
5: Well, one of the things that we do spend a lot of time trying to understand is this idea of how different organs cross-talk to each other. Hmm. The idea that if if you change function of one of your organs, the rest of your body is going to receive that message in some way, positive or negative. So that's one of the ideas that we're really trying to understand what are these messages? How does muscle change liver or fat or brain or heart? Um, Can we use this kind of knowledge to think of therapies and and not only understanding how things work, but try to develop therapies that we could use in all of these different diseases. So that's kind of where we're going. We're trying to go.
0: Well, that's wonderful. Well, keep up the great work uh, and seriously, keep keep publishing too, because, you know, we would never have found you if we hadn't seen some of those articles. Appreciate it. Again, Dr. Jorge uh, Ruiz from the Karolinska Institute in uh, Stockholm, Sweden. Good stuff. We're gonna take a break, my friends. Come back and uh, talk a little bit more, just about. Actually, we're gonna go do a review of headlines. I forgot I was gonna take you somewhere else. We're gonna do a review of headlines. We've talked about a lot of things on the show over the last couple of weeks. We want to update you and let you know what the rest of the story. There's more going on to those old stories we've talked about. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back after this break. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, you know, yesterday we had on Ron Hager who made us, uh, not didn't make us, because we have choice and agency. He said we should stand more. And now, after talking to Jorge Ruiz, I know why. We need to exercise our muscles. Then you're not depressed. Then I'm not depressed. Nothing worse than a depressed talk show host. Because <laughs> the water, all everything goes downhill. Um, we like to talk about news stories and in the past few weeks we've brought up a few news stories that we've researched further and we want to do a little update on. What have you found, Terry?
1: Last week I think it was we had a uh, bio geneticist type yeah. individual, uh-huh. I'm just making words up now. Because of uh the legislation in Great Britain, what was it? Three parents, yeah, for one child. As they make you know you, you you work with the genetics to help when you think of babysitting three parents one child not a bad idea no but, but there's other problems. that legislation it's actually been uh, approved three-person ivfs at fertility clinics in order to prevent genetic mitochondrial diseases so uh give us some muscular dystrophy i think was one of them yes and you would use as, three as, parents as they refer to them as dna imperfections that could really hamper someone's life but if you could fix them beforehand so this isn't cloning to get your blonde baby blue-eyed it's to fix a
0: a defect so that they could live a happy healthy life so somebody two parents the mom and dad might go get a mitochondrial uh a person that'll donate mitochondria they then place that in the dish stir it all up and boom well, it's more technical, but yes. Well, I think that's the tenet- that's the genetic term.
1: A blender, you just stirred kind of up, up, up in a blender. So, it says the House of Lords, voted on Tuesday to allow doctors to use material from another mother, father, mm-hmm. and female donor to conceive a baby. They will uh, help to uh, fix DNA imperfections passed on from the mother. This donor st- uh, system would only compr- or comprise of two or point two percent of the baby's DNA from the third parent. Yeah. Or the third mother, I guess, and then the two—the the actual parents—would still provide ninety-nine point eight percent. And, and people DNA. were worried about it because this is just the beginning. It's the first step to something else. Yeah. I feel.
0: And we had a great geneticist on saying, you know, for the we are actually now have the science to correct some problems, some major physiological issues. We may as well be doing it. So
1: take that step Interesting. and they're, they're going to go ahead with that. Good. So something to watch. Little update. Net neutrality, we've talked about that a little bit today. Yeah. CNET.com reports that Senate Republicans appear to have largely abandoned the effort to fight an FCC vote later this week. That's expected to reclassify broadband as a public utility-like service. They've given up. Senator John Thune of South Dakota... Chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee told The New York Times that a bill challenging the ruling has little chance of passing without backing from both major political parties. Thune said we're not going to get a signed bill that doesn't have Democrats' support.
0: Hmm. See, I think what's happening, they're running into the wall.
1: And now we need to be friends. Or they're just not going to challenge something because they know it's, it's futile. Yeah. Even though there's other things they're doing that seem to be futile, and they'll just keep doing it. Because, we call that learning. I think. Yes, they'll they'll learn from these. But but it is an, an important vote because this is the first time they're actually going to look at the internet and try to answer the question: Should the government do something? Huh. And the FCC look. I, I think it's it. They're tr- they're they're trying to do something. But you're correct. Whenever you do some sort of legislation, people. Lobbyists, other people, like, put a bridge. For yeah. some reason, there's a bridge project. Yeah. yeah, throw something in there. Some port-type yeah. billing in there, and it makes it a problem for uh, getting good legislation passed because there's all this writers and extra things attached to it. So, mm. you know.
0: Free money. Government. Free money.
1: And uh, we also talked about uh, the NBC Nightly News. Yes. After Brian Williams. Yeah. And he uh, he gets suspended. Six months. Yeah. Uh, Substitute anchor Lester Holt averaged a first place 10.1 million viewers last week. Wow, is that good? That's 416,000 viewers over the number 2, which is ABC. So it's NBC's ratings they're doing okay. Yeah, and that's widened slightly from the previous week. Interesting. So not only did they gain their they get the lead back, they increased viewership.
0: And Lester that, that's Holt,
1: shout out. A, a full week after Brian Williams began his six-month suspension, when NBC claimed a three hundred ninety-eight thousand viewer advantage, so they've expanded that. ABC nine point million last week. CBS, uh, as it says, the perennial third-place finisher at eight point five. So, <laughs> not only have they ex- they they've uh, regained their lead because initially there was a dip that, that first Friday because it happened on a Thursday, right? Right. And then Friday uh, they they show up and. After the uh, the problems with Brian Williams came to a head, it fell. The the ratings fell. But then that next week, they they gained their lead back, and they're they've back. expanded it. So it doesn't look good for Brian Williams after two weeks. Lester Holt, you know what it is, though? It's his glasses. Lester Holt has some awesome
0: eyeglasses like I do. That's why I bought mine, because Lester has them.
1: Really? Yeah. Are they just the fake? Are they no-lens glasses? No, mine, I mine can't really, really tell Yeah,
0: here. mine have lenses. Oh, okay. And um, they're really <laughs> thick. They're really not, but I have lenses and I need them. But I then I realized uh, it's not going to help my radio performance because nobody actually sees my lenses.
4: But the the staff respect for you, the level of respect has increased dramatically because of your glasses.
0: Have they? Have you heard them talking?
4: Yeah. Well, uh, the new people that just on, came on staff, they're yeah. like, "Did you see his glasses? They, no, uh, just, yeah, yeah." No, a lot I... of conversation about that. Wow, that's good. So it, it does have a, a significant effect.
1: It's working. There yeah. was some discussion about the website Rate My Professor that we see a lot when we're doing some of the yeah. scheduling. Uh-huh. And they're like, do we put him on there? Yeah, they were going to put me Rate My Radio Show Host. Yeah. But they didn't? No. I mean, it may happen. We'll let you know. So you can kind of follow your I your just ratings. know if I was on Rate My Professor, I would have a couple red peppers. A couple chili peppers Because <laughs> I'm red
0: hot. Um, did you hear about Leonard Nimoy? I heard that he was
1: not feeling well.
0: He's not feeling well. Leonard Nimoy was rushed to the hospital after severe chest pains, prompted a 911 call. Um, law enforcement sources say that the legendary Star Trek star was transported. That's a weird word to use with him. I uh, was transported to UCLA Medical Center last Thursday. We're told the paramedics weren't taking chances with Captain Spock and got him in front of a doctor ASAP.
1: I guess he is a captain now.
0: By the way, what doctor was it? James? Bones. His Bones. Was it, it Bones. Was bones? bones. Uh, Nimoy's been in and out of the hospital multiple times in the last few months, but he is suffering from COPD, so we wish him the best of luck, even though he quit smoking more than 30 years ago.
1: But that's what Still it stems from. Still blames his
0: illness yeah. on that. That's interesting. Though, I mean, isn't that Do you feel like you're getting older? Because now some of these people, we were you know, we, I grew up with these people.
1: Yeah. I feel so old. I'm, wow. I don't mentally feel old. I, I, I well, you look I know, really old I know. It's know. been a rough life. <laughs> James is twenty
0: five. <laughs> yep, and you're over there saying you're old. You feel old? Yeah. Well, just Leonard Nimoy
4: having problems that are, it really starts weighing down on me. You know, just how
0: years. Yeah, you young people, <laughs> you're gonna you're gonna learn. What, what it, till your hips give out? Yeah, yeah. What until well, you get plantar for a quarter of a decade.
4: But I have been walking everywhere uphill, just so when I'm older, I can tell my children that I've been walking uphill both ways. So
1: I just I feel old when I'm talking to the 12 year old kid neighbor, and yeah. I mention Twitter, and he's like, "Twitter? That's so old." Or like when you yell, "Get off my lawn!" Well, that too. Do you do that? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I try to. You know, I try to show that I'm, you know, technology, cell phones. You know, we can kind of relate. And he's like, you know, you're he- not, you're not for me, old man. Get away. <laughs> Move away, little fella. And then I give him his football back and he goes back and plays with his friends. Really? Well, you know, the, they always throw the football over the fence and I have to go get it. And it's actually, it is kind of a get off my lawn sort of conversation. I can just but. see
0: you like, you know, wearing your robe. Yeah. And your slippers, your, your slippers, your, your little, yeah, your little house slippers. Hey, you
4: kids. What are you doing back here? You probably have like a nickname too, like Scary Man Terry. Yeah. <laughs> That they don't like going That's over there. That's scary man Terry. Oh, no, so he threw scary.
0: the ball into his backyard again. Oh, no. I had to get a dog. Hey, I got some good news. We made a top list, you guys. The United States did. Do you know that the U.S. provides the fewest vacation days for workers? Wow. Out of the richest com- countries. Provides or takes? We provide okay. our employees the fewest days.
1: Well, isn't it in France they take most of a, most of a month half, during the well, summer? Well, it's a half a year. A half a year off. Yeah. Six months. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Half a year. According to the 2013 report by the Center of Economics and Policy Research, 23 percent of Americans have no paid vacations or holidays. You know, of course, many companies provide benefits to their full time employees of a certain number of paid vacation days and holidays. But the average private sector worker gets only about 10 days of paid vacation and about six paid holidays per year. Man. Sad. It's sad. sad. It's really sad. Um, but you know what? That's because we're special. We're advanced. Do you remember back you don't remember this because this took this happened a long time ago, but we used to laugh at the Japanese because they worked so many hours. Oh yeah. And you know yeah. what? Look how cool. We're beating them. At <laughs> least we're, we're number them. one for something. Combining uh, personal days – so check this out. Contrast the guarantee that I just talked about with the Americans with countries that are members from the European Union. Workers must have a minimum of 20 days off per year if you live in Europe. Combining those personal days off with paid national holidays, Australia, Portugal, and Spain lead the pack in allowing workers time to relax, giving 38, 35, and 34 days per year respectively.
4: Mm. So in theory, you could take an entire month off
0: and get paid for it. Yes. Wow. And that's not even getting into your vacation or your sick time probably. Yeah. That is, that's th- paid. So you could still, you know, fake a sickness, fake a cold, fake a surgery.
4: That, <laughs> and, that one's a little harder to And speak.
1: have even more. I <laughs> had my kidney out yesterday. There's no scar because yeah. it's new technology. It, it, yes, <laughs> It's interesting to see what they're doing. They're like they use sound waves. It was great. Yeah.
0: <laughs> uh, Portugal. So, how does this all-time t- you know, how does it impact our economy? It's, you know, one of the reasons where a lot of us are probably disengaged at work might simply be because we're not getting enough vacation. So, if you're out there in listener land and you think I can't do this anymore. Just take a day off. Go to France. Go okay. to Portugal. Move to go Australia. To Spain, go to Australia. <laughs> there's hope. No, it just – this is what we're kind of suffering from. So if you're an employer, there are consequences, right? We wear people out. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, start our last hour of the Matt Townsend Show. Got some uh, – great relationship expert coming on a little bit later to help us walk through, you know, how do you take care of the give and take in a relationship? How do you make sure it's not all just give, 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 but that we're all benefiting – We'll be talking about that with Jeremy Sherman when we come back uh, next hour. Also, more headlines in the news. And the great guys from BYU Sports Nation will be updating us on their show that'll start in an hour. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back, right here on SiriusXM 143 BYU Radio. Good morning everybody. Welcome to our number 3 of the Matt Townsend show. I'm Dr. Matt Townsend, your coach, your guide on the side. Remember, this is the program where we give you the tools, the skills, the ideas to help you go create your good life. Everyone's got the opportunity. Everyone's also got their trials, you know, their issues they have to deal with. We want to be more here than just, you know, giving you the news or beating people up. We also want uh, to—we don't want to ever beat anyone up. But we want to have a little bit of fun and also give you the skills and the tools you need to make it through your difficult parts of your life, as well as inspire you, hopefully, to see the good in others. Uh, Today we've got a great show for you. Holy cow. We're going to go do some headlines. Then we're going to get to Jeremy Sherman, who wrote a wonderful article on overcoming relationship conflict— maybe the idea of overcoming relationship conflict is you gotta uh, you got to be able to be really skilled at not taking offense and uh, maybe it might be smarter for you instead of trying to change everyone in your life maybe just get really robust he calls it to perturbation the ability to not be perturbed We'll talk about that. Jeremy Sherman uh, will be coming up. Also, we'll talk to the guys from BYU Sports Nation, see what they've got going
1: on down in Studio B. But first, let's get to some of the headlines. Terry. Tony Thurman, state assembly member in California, introduced a bill on Tuesday that would ban the use of chewing tobacco at Major League Baseball games. Oh, boy. In his state. So any Major League Baseball game. And this is fans <laughs> and players. Nobody uses tobacco in California during baseball games. Wow. Well, what would they do in between pitches? Exactly. And that's some of the argument against it is the players say it's part of our routine. Hello, you're going to throw me off. I won't be able to throw the baseball quite as well because I don't have to, I don't know. Can't chew my jaw. Yeah. Interesting. Now, why, I, I,
0: I, he, I, let me guess. Let me guess why. The kids don't need to see it.
1: We're promoting a behavior that causes cancer. They've already done this in minor league baseball. There's no tobacco allowed. Now, there's some uh, cases where, uh, not cases, but there's some that say that those rules aren't being enforced. But baseball, Major League Baseball, who governs minor league baseball, uh, passed a rule saying that you cannot chew tobacco on the field. During minor league baseball games. Are they just testing it on the minors? That's what they do. They test things there and then they have to come to the Players Association with the Major League Baseball and negotiate what that means, Mm. I guess. And, And yes, it comes down to kids are watching the game and they don't need to watch people chewing tobacco all day. Maybe they need a ban on using roids during the game. That would be... Something else, but uh, again, players' union and Eh, testing and blah, blah, blah. You're going to (laughs) throw my game off. It's part of my routine. (laughs) That's what they said. Yeah. Okay, Um, well, that's good. At least California legislators are all over it. Four arrested in Dubai for sword fighting. Oh. Four men arrested in Dubai over an alleged (laughs) sword fight, and knives were involved also. It was all in a hotel bathroom. You have dishonored my mother. The fight left one of the suspects severely injured. Two of the suspects, eh, it talks about nation of origin, but not important. Apparently, the fight began over accidental physical contact. One of the suspects' shoulders <laughs> brushed with another. Mm. This led to an exchange of insults followed by an argument and a fight. Prepare to fight. And swords what? were drawn. Clank, and, clank, clank. Yeah. Wow. Don't brush the... Sh- this know. is in Dubai. Yes. Some, it was two, <laughs> two from uh, the United Arab Emirates and uh, two from uh, Saudi Arabia. Now, I don't, so I don't, I, I, I don't know if that had anything to do with it. But it's... yeah, they brushed shoulders and mm. then swords were drawn. Did you, did, you, did you, brush my shoulder? Yeah. What does that mean? No, you brushed my shoulder, man.
0: No, you brushed my shoulder. No. no, my shoulder. <laughs> it just turns into a. You know, what's really weird about uh, it is the West. We are. We're, they always laugh at us for like you know carrying a gun on our side.
1: Yes. Like, do these guys just walk around with swords? I don't know. I, I, I'm going to lean towards the, the side of no. I mean, I get a knife, but fight, apparently, okay. apparently, yes, they a sword. Know. You know, that's, what are those? Three feet
0: long? Unless it's a samurai, then we're talking right. four Yeah, if These
1: are like three
4: ninjas that met up and they brushed each other's shoulders. In Dubai? I don't think so. I don't know.
0: Again, back to James Bond.
1: Yeah, this sounds like the beginning, actually, of the Raiders of the Lost Ark. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And then Indiana just pulls out his gun. Yeah. This is why Indy carried a whip. Right. He could end it. Yeah. Um, A Hungarian mayor of the village of Maker, population of 18, Mm. so, you know, metropolitan area. Village. He has put his entire town up for rent for just... $850 $850 a day in an attempt to bring in money as well as attention, which he's getting. Well, when you rent a town, like do you just get their services? What do you get Their Use their park. The largely deserted village is well-preserved and an advertisement for the rental includes use of its streets, the mayor's office, cultural center, bus stop, and multiple oh, peasant style houses. Sure. The you village can... horses, cows, sheep, and poultry houses are also available. A lot, uh, the mayor says, a law I brought in means an outsider can also become deputy mayor for a weekend mm, yeah, for sure. and even change the street names if you want. Wow. So there you go. You can have like a little fiefdom. eight fifty a day and you can be mayor and run this town of 18 people that's, that's cool, largely dream. deserted.
0: Someday I want to run a village in Hungary. Son, what do you want to be when you grow up? I want to be the mayor of a village of 18 people in Hungary. Well, you know what's weird?
1: We're going there this Saturday. I know just a place. That's great. Where do you list a city for rent? Uh, Craigslist. Craigslist. Yeah. Craigslist, Hungary. Yeah. Looking for a great weekend adventure. (laughs) You
0: got to go to Hungary.
1: Isn't that, you know, that's, I guess, that's a mayor trying to save his community. Looks like it. If there's 18 people there. And they say it's largely deserted, which would lead to the idea that possibly there were more people yeah. that lived there at one Do you point. you know what they have never thought through?
0: They've never seen or heard of a Mormon family reunion. Because it's wait till a
1: family reunion is like,
0: oh, we ought to take the Jones family <laughs> to <laughs> Hungary Ren- and move in Jones- 500
1: people. Jonesville for the weekend. Yeah.
0: I want the shanty. I want the tiny little shack that no one lives in.
1: That would be fun. And, that's the cu- cool. and the cousin nobody likes out in the chicken right. coop is where you put him. <laughs>
0: that's, a, that's a neat man. You could be deputy mayor. Change the laws.
1: Right. Street names. Name after, you know, grandma, grandpa. Yeah. Let's go down that way. Townsendville. How would that be? Ah, the power. Kind of redundant. Townsendville. Maybe we ought to Townsend take. Townsend we'll, we'll take our,
0: yeah, t- Townsend Townville. <laughs> we'll take the team. Let's ask Don. Okay. Uh, in fact, M- remote James, broadcast? You, when you get a chance, go ask Don if we could get some money to go to Hungary. Okay,
4: and rent a village.
0: We're renting a village. It's only we probably need two or three grand just to get the village. Yeah, it's like eight fifty okay. a day. So, okay. I think it's the airfare that's going to be the problem. Probably. But I want to hang out. I want to do some team building exercises. Yeah, some like trust falls. Uh-huh, we will do trust falls. We'll do a, fi- a fire walk. We'll walk on coals. Perfect. Ropes right, course. Yeah. I'll right talk down. To I'll right talk down the downtown of town, Townville. <laughs> <laughs> it's
4: that
0: really gets great.
4: confusing a little bit. In
0: fact, we'll do live reports on the show from town, Townville.
4: Okay. In Hungary.
0: Berg. Berg. Downtown (laughs) Vilberg.
1: Downtown. town. (laughs) We're in downtown, downtown (laughs) Vilberg. Moving on. A Massachusetts man has found a way to profit from several feet of snow in his front yard. He's shipping it to other people in warmer climates for the bargain price of $89 for six pounds. How many pounds of snow do you want? I guess you have to ship it refrigerated. Yeah, how much does shipping cost? Just says eighty nine dollars for six pound. I didn't go to the website. Yeah, there is a website. Always follow the lead. Goes, Always follow it all the way to the end. He says the reason I didn't is I because didn't. he gives you the. I, it has to be some insulated somehow, but it says uh, you can order a package that even if it melts a little in shipping, it can still make ten to fifteen snowballs when it gets to your uh, your home. <laughs>
4: <laughs> oh, good.
0: Would no it good. be
1: cheaper to just fly to Boston? But he's bringing a piece of Boston to you. <laughs> okay. Some genuine Boston snow. But again, so look how creative people are. Like, hey, yeah. hey, I got snow. He said he started shipping them in bottles. Yeah. That's and it they're... melted. Yeah. So that's why he went with the six pound. There's also a 10 pound. And, wow. Yeah, it just kind of. And if you buy
0: more than 50 pounds... I you, don't know if you he get goes 50. Your, you get another six pounds
1: free. Right. So
4: does he actually have a market for this? I don't Is know. Is he making money? Wow.
1: I think it's relatively yeah, new. He keeps changing his marketing plan a little bit. <laughs> That's great. Right That's a great <laughs> idea. Uh,
0: you know, I might start shipping out inversion and smog. We have plenty of that in the- That's because we don't have- a, we need a storm. Want on the Wasatch storm. Front? Mm. Oh, well. I don't think people will buy it. Good stuff. Well done, Terry. Way to take us around the world. To downtown, downtown, Vilberg.
1: Oh, and I was t- we were talking about this before the show. A bowler rolled three consecutive perfect oh, games. so cool. So Did he rolled that? a 900 yeah. series. No, that's huge. And then the real point of the story is that it came. the story came from a website called bowl.com. Yeah. I was unaware that there's such a thing called bowl.com. Oh, no, it's huge. So there you go. And he's apparently just the 27th person uh, recognized by the United States Bowling Congress to ever perform that feat. There's a Congress? That was the other part of it, is there's a, there's a U.S. Bowling Congress. There has to be a governing body At, of somehow, Every right? time,
4: everywhere. Yeah, do they have, like, checks and balances? They have the executive branch and the du- judicial ban-
1: branch? I don't know. Yeah. Whoa. It's bowling. Cool. It could be It the, could be anything. They're... The president of the bowling.
0: They actually yeah, they invented the uh, bumper guards. Oh, yeah. Because people used to have a lot harder
4: time. It was vetoed, but it was passed by a majority. Yeah. And, they, and then
0: you know, the Players the, League fought it. You know yeah, how it is. Yeah. Anyway, they also had the first ban on chewing tobacco in the bowling uh, ring. What are they call bowling was huge. lane? That was huge. Those were bad days. Yeah, slick floor, Shaw. Mm-hmm. Bad. <laughs> we're gonna take a break, my friends, and when we come back, Jeremy Sherman's gonna join us. He's gonna be talking about how you might want to rethink your approach to working on a relationship, a problem, how to solve it, and maybe even how to do it unilaterally instead of waiting for your partner to change. Maybe it might be more effective if you just build a robust, uh, build the ability to be robust to perturbation. That's just a big word, robust to not being offended by others. We'll take a break. Talk about it when we come back. Right here on the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio. <music> Hey, we're back, folks, right here on the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, One of the things that I really uh, love to focus on, relationships and how you deal with difficult people. It's it really is. It's a skill, I think, that most of us don't work hard enough on. So I I wanted to bring on an expert today. And uh, Dr. Jeremy Sherman is our expert. Now, he hates he's not an expert. He really isn't. He even says he's not an expert, but he's studied it a lot. And has written on it uh, and written a wonderful article called Surpri- A Surprising Key to Sustainable Relationships, How to Keep Love's Give and Take from Beginning Gi- Becoming Give and Give. How to Keep Love's Give and Take from Becoming Give and Give. And um, one of the great things about uh, his article, you can find it on Psychology Today, but he starts to take us through maybe a different approach, a different paradigm to resolving Conflict. Uh, Jeremy Sherman has an MBA uh, and is a professor of strategic foresight, business consultant, and communications trainer, and academic researcher. He uh, has received his master's in public policy from UC Berkeley and his PhD in evolutionary theory from Union Institute and University. Jeremy, welcome to the Matt Townsend Show.
6: Hey, nice to be here.
0: Great to have you. And I love yeah. your writing, and I love even just, you, yeah, you're never you're not one that wants to ever hold himself out as a pro, but you've written up you, a really, I think, interesting take on conflict.
6: Yeah, I, I, yeah, I just want to make clear, I, I never call myself an expert, because in social relationships, it's, I don't actually believe in expertise, but I am definitely a specialist. In yeah, you are a specialist. Yeah. Of it.
0: That's yeah. the word, huh? I mean, yeah. you have studied yeah. it. And, and you've also um, – the way you've put this together I think is so interesting because conflict is a big deal. It, it seems like in a relationship because we spend so much time trying to figure out why the other is so messed up, right? Instead yeah, that's of, true. Inst- yeah. Instead of maybe dealing with some of the deeper you know, ways that we are handling things, in your article you mentioned this inner PR person. Talk about, talk about what you mean by that, the, the, how the inner PR person tends to come out in the middle of a conflict.
6: Well, I mean, it, it doesn't necessarily for all of us, but um, in certain circumstances, um, when we feel threatened, um, a voice can come up from inside us and kind of take us over, and uh, it's just someone who's trying to keep us, uh, our heads above water. I would say that for some people... Uh, for a lot of people, it's the main coping strategy is to keep yourself exempt or exceptional um, so that you're never really threatened by, um, by any challenges to you. You mm. just keep on saying, well, that, I would never do that. I'm not the kind of person who does that. Other people do that. I, I, in my life, I try to, a different approach, which is kind of constant work to keep myself from feeling exceptional or exempt. You know, one of my mantras is, I wouldn't put it past me. <laughs> Whatever other people do, I do too. I try actually to pre-grieve all the possibilities about me so that when someone threatens me or challenges me, it's something I've already visited. Huh. It's not like the first time I'm hearing it and therefore I'm bound to be freaked out. And that is part of this idea about being robust because yes, we're going to be in, in, in conflicts, in relationships, but and what will tend to happen is our well-being will, will become dependent on the other person's reaction. And so the whole idea behind this robustness is to, is to figure out ways to manage your own um, a tendency to get triggered so that you're not triggered in any of these situations. The person may come through with what you want, they may not, but you're going to be okay either way.
0: So part of the idea um, with robust is simply saying, um, I have the ability to manage my own uh, triggers and, and and actually, like you're saying, anticipate them, think them through, be okay being human, and and, and yeah, well, don't don't take the that. bait.
6: There, there is that, but you do you do take the debate. So, um, I'm I'm really contrasting robustness and resilience. Um, so there's been a lot of popular talk about resilience these days, basically springing back when you're bent out of shape. Mm-hmm. And I'm contrasting robustness with that. Robustness is not getting bent out of shape. It's staying cool under fire. And, and you know, a metaphor, think James Bond. We don't get scenes where Bond walks it off to recover his cool after a fight. He's cool in the fight. That's He's true. Gandhi. Yeah. He's cool through his campaigning. It's not the same as any of these kind of approaches that say you want to be cool with everything, robustness is actually a strategic uh, approach. It's not a philosophical or spiritual uh, approach, and it's not just uh, acceptance of everything. You really do stay in the fight. You do, you do try to to, to to achieve what you're trying to achieve, but you do it with a cool about you.
0: So you keep your cool, and and you stay in the conversation or the conflict. You don't necessarily run from it, and you don't accelerate it. You don't um, exacerbate it. um, And and then you just you you just get the job done.
6: Well, you do or you don't get the job done. That's the thing. You're not you're not dependent. Your cool is not dependent on getting the job Hmm. done. Yeah. Um, Which actually makes you stronger, actually more charismatic in arguments, fights, debates, conflicts. If you're going to be okay either way, you're not dependent on the other person. It actually makes you both a more compelling negotiator, and also surprisingly a more receptive one. That is, if you're cool, you can actually hear the other person's position because it's not you're not under threat of being triggered.
0: Yeah. How do you and do that? So, how do you? Well, how, yeah. How do you not let it in? I guess part of it's just your identity, isn't it? Whatever. If the argument becomes a threat to your identity or your, your persona, then all of a sudden, I guess you, you want to fight it. You're saying kind of keep a cool distance from that.
6: Yeah. Oh, it, this is not an attitudinal shift. Yeah. And it's not, so that's what I mean. It's not, it's not philosophy. It's not spirituality. It's not it's all good. Yeah. It's, because it's not, it's not all good. In fact, there's all sorts of things that really will trigger you. A cancer diagnosis is pretty pretty yeah. likely to trigger you, and I'm not arguing for some sweeping class action kind of <laughs> universal, it's all good, it's not. Yeah. But I am saying it's actually a strategic, and um, you, you deal with the particulars of a situation that tends to trigger you. So this would be a recurring problem with your kids, your partner, uh, colleagues at work, but also applies to situations. If you find yourself kind of white-knuckling your way into a meeting that you keep on going to because the meeting is something, there's landmines in the meeting, things that, that tend to trigger you and you're kind of worried about uh, being triggered, you can actually think through strategically that particular situation. And basically what I'm suggesting is you anticipate the triggers and figure out whether there's any way you can finesse them that is, suppose that I don't get what I want. Suppose I get exposed as an imposter here. Suppose my partner refuses to listen to me again. Just any any of the particular triggers. And you say, is there any way I can develop a workaround um, in that situation where I would truthfully be okay? Hmm. Can I do without, um, you know credibility with these people can i do without my partner listening so that would be an example I, uh, so suppose you have a partner who you know they get triggered and then they start stonewalling getting defensive you're not being heard that makes you anxious so you think it through in advance and ask yourself okay so what if this, what if my partner doesn't end up hearing me when i'm talking right now hmm. so my tendency will be to escalate and try and reiterate what I'm saying so that it gets through to my partner So, so you think well first of all do I really need my partner to hear me right now maybe not maybe yeah. I'm actually so eager to get my partner to hear me right now because I'm afraid that I will that my opinion will get lost that I won't be able to hold on to my opinion if my partner won't hear it and then I got to kind of talk so as to prove to my partner to prove to myself that I can be hurt. Well, maybe I don't need to do that. Is my partner going to change my mind just by not listening to me? No. Hmm. Will my partner listen later? Maybe.
0: Maybe. No. Yeah, we'll see listen, then.
6: If my partner will listen later, then all I've got to do is come up with a workaround. And, for example, I could simply say, I'll wait to discuss this further until I consent." your receptivity to my perspective.
0: Oh, that's, and it's, I love how you keep using the word strategic, and, I mean, because a lot of these fights, and we'll talk about it after the break, a lot of these fights or conflicts that we end up having, we kind of know how they're going to go, because we've gone through them so many times, but if we become robust, like you're saying, it might, uh, it might set up, um, it's just a different tone, it's a different spirit. It's almost like you're more prepared for it, because you've thought it through, you've You've stilled yourself, and know that you have other alternatives. Uh, you know, if they're not going to understand me now, well, then how will I handle that? And we'll come back and handle That's that. Right. That's, That's powerful. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's strategic really.
6: Strategic preparation for the things that are recurring.
0: Yeah, especially, and called. in our relationships, strategic prep is is probably one of the great antidotes to overcoming reactivity or triggering. Um,
6: yeah, and it's, yeah, it's very it, different from like from. Trying to come up with some philo- philosophical stance, right? That will help you in all situations. There, yeah. are, those are available.
0: The, the, yeah, the universal answer, right? I, I, I love it. Let's take a break, Jeremy. We'll come back and let's um, let's let's discuss this a little further. More about creating a robust ability to handle perturbation is the word that uh, Jeremy uses in the article. But really, to not be triggered, to handle not losing it use your brain use some strategy and and figure out a way to think through it in a healthier way we'll take a break when we come back more with jeremy sherman right here on the matt townsend show Welcome back to the Matt Townsend Show. Today we have been discussing creating a more robust approach to your your conflict kind of management, overcoming relationship conflict, not by just you know being resilient to it, but according to our guest, Jeremy Sherman, we need to become robust. We need to actually be a force in a way um, to understand more, to create a strategy. To, to be less reactive and triggered, and, it, and um, his argument is it doesn't necessarily come by just having a really great, you know, philosophy, per se, or, you know, a mantra to quote. Um, every situation might be individual and independent, so you need to probably figure out a strategy for every situation. But to have the robustness, the ability, the strength to stay in the space, not run, not fight, per se but be effective. And um, if it's not going to work, what's your plan? And how do we come back and address it later? Jeremy uh, Sherman, again, the article was from psychologytoday.com. You can find him more um, if you go to that website. Uh, just look up Jeremy Sherman. Jeremy, welcome back to the show.
6: Thank you. Thank you. Um, and I want to say, I have just wrote an article two days ago that's uh, 14 quick tips for getting robust.
0: Oh, there you go. Uh,
6: yeah, and so you can take a look at that one too. There's, yeah.
0: What are some and, of those? While we're at it,
6: well, um, we we've, we've been talking about some. I want, I want to make. I want to reiterate this thing. It's not a stance. It's not an attitude. It's a practice or methodology. It's something you apply to individual situations. Um, we we often have the sense that we can uh, we can come up with some mantra, like you say, that will carry us through all situations. The thing is that they're the first things to fall away when we're actually in those situations. You know, you take a line like, turn the other cheek. Most people uh, subscribe to it in principle, but when you've just been slapped, you know, it's, it's the first thing to go out the window. So <laughs> I've, right. I've long had the skepticism about a way that we kind of try to come up with uh, what, what I call gumming. There's that, that, not teeth to them. They're these things that, that that sound good on paper, but they're just hard to live by. So I've always been much more interested in particular methods than any kind of gumming philosophy that can carry us through. They just don't seem to hold us um, in a place well enough. So, so, yeah, so I guess
0: the idea realistic. if it's if it's too you know ethereal theoretical, you you kind of want you, you're more prone to just m- make it a methodology or operationalize it. In this in the situation, so we should be robust at being able to take a theory into practice.
6: Yeah, that's that, yeah that yeah that's a way of, of saying it. And also, robustness is something you seek; it's not something you can get everywhere. Like yeah. I said, there's a, you know, there's a lot. So so you recognize you're trying to maximize robustness. By the way, robust perturbation. I shouldn't have brought that in. It's too many it's too many ten dollars words.
3: <laughs> totally. That comes
6: from my work in evolutionary. Uh, in evolutionary uh, theory evolutionary biology, there's a way in which uh, organisms are robust to perturbation. There's a recent book called, by a guy named Nassim Taleb called anti which is talking about systems that have this capacity. <laughs> um, so, but but anyway, uh, yeah, it's just robustness. It's, it's, it's not being bent out of shape and then recovering, that's resilience. Right. It's being uh, able to keep from being bent out of shape. Uh, another, another key from that list of 14 ideas is to have a plan B. So suppose you're in a relationship where you're triggered a lot, and you're triggered to the question, can I make this work? So I think a relationship is, you know, we we have two questions, and they're very different. One is, how can I make this work? It's the assumption that I'm in this relationship, and I'm going to make it work. And the only question is, how? And the other one is, can I make this work? Which is, should I be in this relationship at all? Hmm. Well, if that other question comes up, and it freaks you out, because if this relationship doesn't work, you've got no alternatives, then then you'll be triggered quite easily.
0: Yeah, you're but trapped. You yeah, you're think, stuck.
6: Yeah, if you come up with a plan B in advance, a way that you can finesse it, if the other person doesn't come through right now, for example, as, as we're talking before the break, if the other person's not receptive right now, you can finesse it by saying, I'll wait, to discuss this further until I can sense some receptivity. And right. the other person might say, Oh, no, I'm receptive, and then not be receptive. <laughs> right. so that's why you're going to say, You really have to think it through enough to say, until I sense some receptivity. Uh, but also to have the plan B in mind, not to dwell on it, but just to think, OK, well, what happens if I can't make it work in this situation? And one thing you can do about that is just simply rehearse what you might tell yourself and tell other people. Um, so that you'd be okay with that. Yeah. Now you don't dwell on it, and you keep on trying to make it work within the relationship. And surprisingly, me because say paradoxically, if you know you got a plan B, you can actually stick to your plan A.
0: That's right. Longer. Right. Instead of also just yeah. throwing out a made-up plan B in the moment you're emotionally charged. I mean, just I mean, yeah, I'm, out end end. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm out of here. Yeah. Saying I'm
6: out of here, all that sort of stuff. That's right. Because I think often we're we're more busy trying to prove to ourselves our power um, when we do that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. We're triggered. Like, if I don't think my voice, if I don't think that I'll be able to hold to my opinion if the other person won't listen, then I've got to prove to the other person that, I, that I, I, I'll pretend I'm trying to prove to them, but actually I'm trying to prove to myself that I can actually hold my position. Yeah yeah, it, you, yeah you, so this is the kind of strategic stuff that you do methodologically. you actually think through what could I do to finesse the situation if the other person doesn 't come through with what I want that way you don't yeah. become dependent on what the person comes through
0: I love it and and again, I see it every day with the cu- the couples that I end up coaching you know if there is too much dependency because some pe- because one or a person or the other hasn 't put in some of this time ahead of time strategically thinking it through knowing their options anticipating how the conversation will go then all of a sudden it's just kind of you know we just like you know it's like a hockey game where you just throw the puck down and game on and everyone starts going at it we have about a minute left jeremy what if you think about it overall what's the number one thing we could also be focusing on maybe that you haven't mentioned what else is left the one thing that would make the biggest difference to to create a more robust Conflict manager or whatever.
6: Yeah, I um, I guess the, the 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 thing I'd want to reiterate is think it through in advance of the situations that keep on going south, hmm. um, and do it in concrete terms, and um and and also think outside the the context of the campaign and the relationship you're trying. That is stretch to other pragmatic solutions. Maybe you don't need um, a, a, an agreement or concession or something from the other person. Maybe you can get your well-being by other means. Yeah. Plan Bs, at both at the micro and the macro levels. If you've thought them through, you can be calmer. You'll have more charisma in the negotiation because you have the capacity to say, take it or leave it.
0: That's right. Yeah. You, um, yeah you're, you're independent because of your thinking. You, uh, you've done the work ahead of time. Jeremy Thurman. Thank you. Sherman, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Keep writing those articles. In fact, I just looked up his newest article, Get Robust Because Resilience is Too Little Too Late. Wonderful, wonderful uh, stuff there as well. Those 14 points he was talking about. Find him again on psychologytoday.com. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll be talking to our friends uh, down at BYU Sports Nation. Up next, right here on The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. It is now my honor to uh, throw it down to Studio B, BYU Sports Nation, and our good friends down there, Spencer Linton. Michael Elisa is sitting in for Jerem Jordan. How are you guys? We are
7: fantastic, Great. and it is glorious to have the one and only Michael Elisa, star wow. of this
0: year's Texas football game, with us in studio. <laughs> Huge! It's oh. his birthday, Matt! Oh, is it? Happy birthday, Michael.
7: Hey, thank you. I appreciate it.
0: Do you feel older?
7: I, I do. My body feels like it's 80 years old,
0: actually. <laughs> you ought to come up to the radio studio. I'll show you a body that looks like 80. Hey, uh, guys, you won't believe what we covered today on the radio. I'm sure you didn't get to it on your show okay. yet. I mean, uh, zombie apocalypse.
7: Zombie apocalypse.
0: Now, I need you to think this through, guys. Um, we, I, where do you think is the safest place to be during a zombie apocalypse? <laughs> and I want you to think, where would you go?
7: Where would I go during a zombie apocalypse?
0: <laughs> Michael's like, what a are we talking? About? I would go Ooh. to a Desert Island. Can
7: zombies swim? No, I don't think no. so. No, they're so, so full of
0: holes they would just sink, yeah, wouldn't they?
7: they? Their bodies would corrode in the salt water. So I'm with Michael. <laughs> well, uh, Let's go to Hawaii, dude. If we're dude. going like Will Smith's version of zombies, yeah, then they do not like water.
0: No, but I, I, I think we're actually talking about the continental U.S. on oh, the continent. continental U.S. Yeah, U.S uh, okay. yeah. I uh, uh, West, s- Florida. <laughs> Uh, yeah, you're going to keep pushing the water thing, aren't you? I don't know. You know what it is? Uh, it's the BYU locker room. Football. The
7: BYU locker room? No,
0: it's not. It's the Northwest, <laughs> the Northern Northwest Mountains. Okay. The mountains up in Idaho.
7: Yeah, ain't no zombie going up there. No. Nobody's going up they there. They can't rock climb.
0: They can't rock climb. Their fingers will fall off. <laughs>
7: This is an interesting question. It's funny that you bring up the zombie apocalypse because I just saw the first movie that I ever liked surrounded by a zombie storyline. It's called Warm Bodies. It is outstanding. <laughs> love that
0: movie. Are you serious? Yes. Are you, You're you pitching a, a zombie movie. It a is zombie a love, st- love movie. It's, it's,
7: a love, it's a comedy. It's a comedy It's a comedy love story <laughs> around a zombie comedy apocalypse. Romance. It's outstanding. Matt, you need to watch it. it. Are, is,
0: are the zombies the ones that fall in love? You just
7: have to watch. I'll yeah. tell you. The zombies... Like, through, uh, I don't want to give away too much. Just watch it. You will love it. <laughs> I hate zombie movies and I loved it.
0: But you know, that means a lot. Seriously, Spencer, because we know how you love like romance movies and just love stories.
7: <laughs> what are we talking about? So, we do a sports show. So if we're dealing with those kind of zombies, I would hide in a flower shop.
0: There you go. See, a that's right. Zombies love and, me. and get her candy heart. Uh, yep. Yes. No. Uh, that's sorry. See, Michael's a Michael's a romantic. Hey, what's on your show today? Can you beat zombies?
7: Well, other than uh, Michael Elise's <laughs> birthday and that's the huge. zombie talk that yep. we just had, we might carry that over into the next hour. Yeah. Um, let's see. What do we have today? Tom Holmo, athletic director of BYU, had his semi-annual general conference. No, uh, <laughs> meeting with uh, the local media members, and he brought up a, a number of topics, and he was very clear to to point out that look, it's it's hard being an independent, as uh, in, in the status of BYU football right now, and uh, he yeah. pointed out why that's hard and and what the, I guess the goals are still that he's make it making it very clear that BYU wants to find a way into a Power Five conference, and Michael can you know talk specifically about the pressure that the team feels right now to to win every game and. You know, oh. you're, not, you're not playing for a conference championship. No. The, the team, the coaching staff, everybody involved. I, th- I think it's just
0: uh, so they're kind of just bringing it out a little bit more public now, right? Like they're they're taking it, they're they're being more direct.
7: Yeah, yeah, I'd say Tom's doing a really good job of That's being great. transparent with how how they feel and and the goals and directions of the program, and so we'll talk good. about that and you know his status on how they treat BYU alumni and why he's passionate about that, and there's just a ton going on. Corbin Kafusi will join us. six okay. ten uh Football to basketball. Yeah. I mean, he's okay. Uh, carryover. He's a, yeah, he's okay. <laughs> yeah, he's tall. He's really tall.
0: Hey, hey do you guys know where Jerem is? Because uh, ever since the zombie thing, <laughs> I've been a little worried because I saw him. He says, I'm out of here. I'm going to Idaho to the mountains. That's all he said.
7: <laughs> well, he is going to the Northwest. Okay. He's going, he's going to cover Portland and Gonzaga for us and, and uh-huh. see his wife up in Portland. Is that, what so. he's t- is
0: that what he says? That's what he's telling us. Uh-huh. Sure.
7: <laughs> I'm sure there has to be some flower shops up there between here and there. <laughs> he was kind of like hunched over, weird. Was he, he kept grabbing his neck as yeah. he was walking out of the building. I, he, wa- I watched him. It I, was, I, yeah, I thought yeah. he
0: had like eczema, but it wasn't.
7: <laughs> I thought it was just a gangster walking. It was, he was zombie. Doing, it was, it was gangster like a dragging block, a leg. <laughs>
0: yeah. Anyway, that's sad. Well, we we wish Jerem the best as well. Okay, hmm. hey,
7: we'll send him our best.
0: As <laughs> okay, well. guys, we'll. Uh, the bus is leaving for Idaho uh, a little bit later today, so make sure you're on it. <laughs> you got it, man. Thanks, guys. Have a great show. <laughs> Thank <laughs> you. you too. Take care. I'm telling you, we bring so much light to their show. (laughs) They think we're crazy,
1: which we are. But who talks about zombies? And it's important information. I mean, seriously. Now, they did bring up a point. There are different types of zombies. I know. See, I. It depends on what story you're following, whose interpretation of the zombification. (laughs) You know what I loved was Spencer, like
0: talking about a zombie. I guess they call it chick flick.
1: Yes, that movie's interesting. I mean, I, One I, of the zombies starts What's it to called like, again? Uh, warm Bodies. Mm. And he, I think he like <laughs> protects a girl yeah. from being yeah. turned into a zombie. And Interesting. He starts trying, I think his humanity oh, starts trying to over- Oh, yeah, I, I remember the previews to that. Yeah.
0: Interesting. I've just never heard Spencer, you know, pitch a show like that. <laughs>
1: Here's a zombie show for you. Watch that
0: one. It's a zombie. I'm not into love shows. That's a zombie love show. Um, anyway, cool. So that's the show. Can you believe it? We did another one. We did three more. Boom, boom, boom. You know, we're getting we're, we're getting it down now.
1: Well, don't get ahead of yourself. Oh, yeah. I still got a few you, minutes. You get over overly confident. Yeah. And then point. something happens. It's a really good point. Um,
0: anything else we need to do before we wrap it up? Terry, what do you think? Trying to we've, see if there's any we've had stories. Great, we've had a great show and a great, uh, f- you know, learning. Especially Jeremy Sherman before the uh, before we had the BYU guys on. I can't tell you how many couples come in and see me that they're just. You have to have first be an independent being before you can ever expect to create something with someone else. If you can't independently have your own identity your own sense of value your own sense of purpose and worth then you're going to and you get into a relationship where everything depends on this other person you're setting yourself up so we got to make sure we're focusing more on that you know i mean when you talk about um i had i had a couple that just kind of blew my mind the other day that it's it's sad quite honestly it's <sighs> They're smart, they're talented, wonderful, incredible people, and one of the partners has basically fallen for another person, but they haven't done anything. It's just an emotional type of affair, and they've just fallen for', them. and the they've they this person actually tells the spouse, the wife that no i I love this other person love her and this has gone on for three years. Wow, what do you do? What, and she just keeps looking at me like, can you believe he says that? And I'm like, Ugh, so what are you going to do about it? And it kind of gets into what Jeremy was talking about. At some point, it's not enough to just be resilient to keep hearing this message. She has to become robust enough to make another plan. And I say, well, what are you thinking of doing? She's like, I'm just going to divorce him. And I'm like, okay, we can always divorce him. But why don't we back it up a little bit? What, why don't you just ask him if he wants to be done? And she says, I did. And he says, he doesn't. And I go, well, what do you want? Well, I don't want to be second fiddle. Okay. Then what's the next natural step? And she says, well, I should probably have him leave or separate. Or I go, great. We wrote that down. That's one. What else could we have you do? What else could you do? Um, I could go talk to, have, I, we brought up, have you talked to the husband of this woman? I guess they work together. And she's like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm like why and she's like it'll just create problems more than what you already have now see how how that 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 person's just not robust yeah and again it's to me i'm telling it because it's a great lesson um she has to be strong enough to go do the other 50 things between the problem and the divorce there's 50 more things she has to do like go talk to the guy find out more information what are they worried about what's going on in this relationship so Anyway, folks, we've got to do that in our relationships because if I'm not strong enough, you, you know I'm not strong enough. And, you know, humans might naturally take advantage of each other. So anyway, that was my key learning on the show with Jeremy today is I, myself, everybody, all of us have to make sure we're independent enough, robust is the word he uses, not just resilient to life. That's a great thing, but also robust enough to take on these challenges that we have. Okay? big that was my big learning. What did uh, you guys take out of the three-hour... Block, we'll call it. That when you
4: exercise, you're protecting your brain from depression yes. and other Isn't that that great? neurological problems. Yeah. Yeah, just that it's a fact of just filtering out your blood, really. You just get that, that chemical buildup in your muscles.
0: and you're, It's like your muscles are like kidneys and, you know. Yeah, I mean, they, it's just, they really, it's really are. really filtering you.
4: Yeah, when you exercise, that chemical will never make its way to your bloodstream, so it will never make its way to your brain. And it's almost like you're inoculating yourself against depression
0: in some ways. Mm-hmm. Well, and do you remember how during that whole thing you kept saying, Matt, this is probably what's wrong with you.
4: Yeah, yeah. I was like, this could solve a lot of problems.
0: Well, do you remember what else you said that was rude? I mean, that was rude. I don't want to say it was rude, but it was rude. You're like, well, Matt, just think of it. If you had a muscle. At least one. You wouldn't have these problems.
4: Yep. Yeah. Thanks. Like you could work on that ab and yeah, uh, you could. work on your depression while you're at it. <laughs>
1: what, what does it say if I work out and I become more sarcastic? Well, yeah, you've just got a bad attitude. Is that what that is? <laughs> yeah. Am I walking in the door with a bad attitude uh-huh. and it just gets worse? Yeah, yeah. Huh. In a good way. I think it's funny. Don't you love it when we always say, in a good way. Like, we've, we've just jabbed you and then we're like, yeah,
0: in a good way. It's in a good way. No, I mean, I, no I offense. No, no offense. I meant no, offense. no harm. I mean. But yeah, you're messed up. You're not becoming more, I think you're becoming more sarcastic because you're on the show.
1: I'm doing everything no, no, I can to become I, less I have, sarcastic. I have a tendency that while, as I'm exuding effort in a exercise form Mm -hmm. that I become overly sarcastic really it's because it's your bravado you're getting all cocky I'll I'll say things because you know you're ripped there's a well then there's a lot uh, well
2: I got
3: that right I'll just concede (laughs) the point yes
1: and then (laughs) so good and then I then I have an opportunity to share what I'm thinking and I don't because it might be you know seen as rude and am I becoming more sarcastic yeah. as I become less depressed. You know, we'll work on that. We'll take it off air and we'll work on it. We'll, I'll take in
0: my I'll The, ca- take in the my couch office. in your office? Uh-huh. I'll, I'll lay down and we can discuss things. Yeah. We can't put a couch in my office because it would have to be at an angle. <laughs> right. But uh, anyway, it's a great idea. We'll just throw it down. You can sleep on the floor. Well, folks, thanks for joining us. Again, uh, we can only do the show if you listen. So every morning, 9 to noon Eastern time, we're here giving you more ideas, more tools to find the good in life. I promise, you know, there's hope, my friends. And if if we can just be different, whether it's through our own exercise, whether it's through being more robust in our lives, or just trying to be more informed in what's going on in our lives, I'm telling you, we can change the world one person at a time. Thanks for joining us. We'll be back tomorrow. Stay healthy until tomorrow. This is the Matt Townsend Show on BYU Radio.